Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You know, when we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we had a lot of questions. How do you record an episode? How do I get the show into all the apps people like to listen to? You know, best of all, how do we like to make money off this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to to podcast right away. In fact, that's what we're doing right now by reading this ad. You know, I like to listen to, to my scary podcast during the week while I'm at work. And man, let me tell you, it just gets me in an extra zone so I can keep working all day long. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. I'm DJ, joined by Kelsey, and we got a pretty good show today. We're starting, of course, with Hard Knocks, because that's a big thing going on in the sports world right now. First episode's done, the second one's coming out any day now. And it was a doozy, but the one thing that we didn't see on that first episode, Antonio Brown, AB, Mr. Big Chest himself, with some controversy over his helmet, of all things, threatening to retire if he doesn't get to use his old helmet. Kelsey, this is kind of like the Tom Brady thing a few years ago, just a lot more extreme. Yeah, this is, this is definitely a... Odd. I don't know. I guess as, as a kid, I was never a guy that had the same helmet year after year, so it never bothered me. I, I don't really understand the idea of needing this this helmet, you know, to be the same thing. And especially when it's it's not even protecting your head. He's already had concussion issues. Like, if it doesn't protect you, why are you so worried about it? I know maybe vision might be an issue, but there's helmets that don't jut out as much as he's claiming they are. And 
I just I think he's just being a baby right now. I think he's being the prima donna that we're all worried he might be when he left Pittsburgh. I will agree with him on one thing that some of the helmets do really kind of screw with your vision, especially the newer ones that are supposed to help with your head issues. They kind of go farther up on your temples. When I was playing in high school, we I got different helmets. I think it was my junior year that kind of did the same thing. I remember switching with somebody else just because I wanted to use a different one that works better. So on one hand, I kind of get it, but I never threatened to quit over the helmet. It was always just a matter of vision, but I can't imagine all of them are that bad to where you can't see a football and can't catch it. And if it really is that bad, then I want to, I want his vision or whatever contacts he's wearing. I kind of want those because if he catches the ball purely with his eyes, that's impressive. Yeah, no, this is, it's crazy. I, I've never seen somebody be so upset about a helmet. Like Tom Brady was mad, but he was just like, whatever. Drew Brees had to switch helmets. Philip Rivers had to switch helmets. You know, there was a total of 130 players last year that were forced to switch their helmets. Like, I mean, just be one of them. Who cares? Like, just, I don't know. You had two years to get used to a new helmet. Why are you just now getting a new helmet? I, I don't know. I just don't like it. I, I hope it all works out. Cause the, the league's better. Antonio Brown's playing. The Raiders are going to be better with AB playing. Derek Carr can sling it. I think this could be a career resurgence for both of them, honestly, to this move. Gruden and AB could have some fun. I think this is. I think it's good for the league if he plays, so I want him to play. Still one of the best receivers in football, one of the best overall players. He can do it all. Hopefully a helmet doesn't derail one of the best careers we've seen in a long time. That would be a shame. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like Barry Sanders. Does he retire early just to protect himself? But like at this point, he's not even protecting himself. He's just being a being a diva about it. I, I don't know. This is just this is extreme. To a, this is this is something only I think Antonio Brown. This is the most Antonio Brown issue next to his other issue with his feet that we've seen since his last issue with Snapchat. Like I mean, this is just ridiculous. There's always something with him, and I hope it all works out. I hope he's not remembered for his antics. I hope he's remembered as being probably the second or third most dominant receiver we've ever seen during his heyday, honestly. I mean, for a four-year period, there are very few receivers can match his overall productivity. And hopefully it continues. I mean, he was still pretty good last year in spite of everything. He wasn't the best receiver in football last year necessarily, but his drop-off, quote-unquote, put him at, like, what, four, maybe five. Still was, I think, led the league in touchdowns, if not was top two or three. So yeah, let's hope it it works out and it's not a helmet issue. It's almost like the T.O. effect, like, do you put up with the excess stuff for the production? And arguably, he is way more productive than, I don't even think arguably, he is way more productive than T.O. ever was in his career, so. I think he's more productive than pretty much every receiver besides maybe Randy Moss and Jerry Rice at their high points. I think no one else's high points match his high points besides those two, arguably. Maybe Marvin Harrison during those early 2000s, maybe, just because he did break the receptions record that one year, but he didn't get the yards, the yak, the pump returns, the touchdowns like A.B. does either. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. I don't know. AB is a weird enigma. He's like he's nothing we've ever seen before. That's for sure. But one thing's for sure is if if he's able to work hard, if he's able to practice, he will work hard and he will be fantastic on the field if he's all in. So oh yeah, he'll definitely be a top five receiver. Which, if we get him on the field. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And since we're talking about top fives, we're leading into the NFL season. This looks like it's going to be a good one on paper. So one thing we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to rank our top five by position groups across the NFL. And today, since Pat, since defensive line, linebackers are all kind of interchangeable, it's almost like basketball with how positionless some things in the front seven can be, we're going to simplify it to pass rush and offensive line. We're basically going to cover the trenches today. So where do you want to start first, Kessley? Offensive line or pass rushers? Well, you know, as a big guy myself, uh, I'm definitely a bigger fan of um, playing defensive line, but I definitely want to talk about the, the blockers first. Um, set it up for the pass rushers. They're the, you know, they're the showstoppers. They're the... 
they the do prima donnas of the linemen, if you would. They're the receivers of the of the linemen at shoot. And what we're gonna do with these rankings is, we're gonna presume that everyone is healthy, everything's good to go, everyone is a little nicked up. We're gonna presume anyone who's not out for the season will be healthy by kickoff time. Right now, we're still in like week one of the preseason, so if someone gets injured by the time this releases, this is before any of those things. So everyone that didn't play last year but isn't out again this year, we're presuming they're coming back 100%. Yep. So I'll go first. For me, the number one offensive line is still the Dallas Cowboys. You got Tyron Smith, a top five left tackle when his arm isn't being held up by a knee brace. Travis Frederick, who when he's 100% and isn't unfortunately unhealthy like he was last year, an unfortunate thing, he's the best center in football. Zach Martin's, if not the best guard in football, he's a close number two. Lel Collins is a big boy, and that four spot is very miscellaneous because they're usually just going to be used to double-team and help anyway. So, I mean, yeah. you have four out of five linemen that will start on literally every single team, probably at their position, too. They won't even have to move around. So, And it, it should tell you something when you look at that line, and the only thing that stops it is a autoimmune disorder for Travis Frederick from, like, literally being the like, – it literally takes an act of God, essentially, to stop that line from being the top line – Realistically, in the NFL, yeah. like that's just crazy to think about. And what's weird is Tyron Smith had a quote unquote a down year last year, and still didn't really give up hardly any sacks. Was still a mauling force. He just had injuries that made one of his arms basically Useless. stiff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even then he was still mauling people. Yeah. A few more false starts or holdings here than we're used to, but it's bound to happen. I mean, no one's perfect. No, exactly. And you got Connor Williams developing as that five, that fifth overall lineman. I mean. He's not great by any means. If you're looking at like a Madden ranking for him, you're like, okay, well, that's probably that's, that's obviously we, the weak link. But and unfortunately, I don't even know how the coaching staff feels about because they took him in out of the lineup, moved him around a lot too. So hopefully, that hasn't messed with his confidence too much. But I think he's a really good talent on paper, at least. To yeah, be that fifth guy. Definitely, I, I do think it's it, it. Yeah, it's it's hard to to vote against the Cowboys at number one. So I'll let you keep going though. Did but, you have the Cowboys at one too? Yeah, like I do. I, I can't. I mean, I'm I'm biased, but even even putting my bias aside, it's hard to not not give them the number one spot it's just and when you've led you've basically been the leaders the convoy if you will for the nfl's top rusher two out of the last three years and arguably could have been three out of the last three years it definitely shows something i mean zeke's a special running back but it helps when he's running through semi-sized holes and dak is able to even put up some production throwing to throwing to guys that when he's not the best passer he doesn't have the best weapons but when you have that much time anyone will get open yeah and i mean they did it with alfred morris running the ball behind him too so it's not like it's just zeke you know it's not a zeke effect it is 100% 100% that line. I mean, if you look at it, it's kind of like the NFL's equivalent to what the Warriors did, you know, building through the draft with three key components and three key positions. I mean, left tackle, center, guard, you're good. <laughs> Realistically, yeah, because a lot of teams are starting to build more from the interior than out here. It used to be secure your tackles and then work your way in. A lot of teams are working the, th- the two guards in the center so the quarterback can step up into the pocket and the tackles can run them outside. The Cowboys got that. They got your left tackle. That that side's safe. Yeah. Your right tackle, actually really good. But if that gets, if that's a little iffy, you step up to Zach Martin and Travis Frederick. Oh, you're safe. Suddenly you're in a bubble of safety all of a sudden. Yeah. So they basically built it across the line in a really unique way that I think the rest of the NFL has been trying to copy. And I think they're still out in front. And this is still pretty much the same unit that did it with Tony Romo and DeMarco Murray too. So it just shows they've done it over two different quote-unquote generations of backfield. And I don't want to say two different eras because it was like maybe three years apart, four years apart. But still, they've done it with two completely different sets of skill positions. Yeah, for sure. So number two, this one's debatable, I guess, but because no one on this offensive line is a quote-unquote Tyrant Smith or anything like that. But they are greater than the sum of their parts, and they're underrated or overrated at all times. It's the weirdest thing. 
But the Steelers' offensive line. Ah, the Steelers. Villanueva is a very underrated left tackle. He's a very good pass protector. Struggles a little bit with the run because he's too gosh darn big. It's hard for him to get leverage underneath people when you're six foot ten or whatever he is. Then they got Pouncey. Like I don't even know all the players on their offensive line, but when you look, I think Pro Football Focus rated them in the top two. Ben has immaculate amounts of time to sit there and, the, and throw the ball downfield, and even when he doesn't, he can break the one guy that kind of gets through yeah. after five seconds. I can't. They're one of those weirdos. They're very well coached, and they. They're almost like all brothers that that just work together to hate Le'Veon Bell based off of last year. Yeah, no, no doubt. The Steelers are, are you said it perfectly. They're the greater sum than their whole, like their parts. Like their whole is just so much better than their parts. And you know, Villanueva is probably the superstar on that team, and then he's maybe the sixth best best tackle in the league. Like, so he's not even like a top tier guy, like a top five guy, like Tyron Smith we talked about with Cowboys, but. Between him, Pouncey in the center, and that they just rally around each other, and they, it is literally a still wall, if you will, in Pittsburgh. I guess I will say I, I can't believe I overlooked him just because he's so good. You never hear about him. David DeCastro is one of the best guards in the league, but and he's kind of your run mauler that lets James Conner, every whoever's handling the ball, there's like, oh, follow that guy, that'll work. Yeah, and he's a really good pass protector too. I mean, he pass protect, protected at Stanford for Andrew Luck and those guys back at Stanford. He's He's a quality top five guard. Villanueva's probably a top six tackle. Pouncey's a top seven-ish center. He's really good. Like, they're they're pretty much loaded in the most unloaded way possible. Like, they yeah. all click perfectly. Like, if, like we talked about Madden earlier, how they have scheme fits and stuff. These guys all scheme fit perfectly at 100%. Plus, they're really good on paper, too. So, yeah. I got the Steelers on number two. Who do you have at number two? Uh, number two for me, I actually uh, I have the Saints ahead of them. Intriguing. Um, you, it's hard... To look at that Saints offense and not see Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara making all these big plays, but they don't make these big plays without the the linemen in New Orleans. Now none of them are great. It's just kind of like the same thing with the Steelers. None of them are great by any means. You don't. I can't think of a stand, standout guy on their their it's offensive like, line. That their really, tackles are probably the, one of the better two tackle tenders in the league. With Teron Armstead and Mike Ramchak or Ryan Ramchak, I think is how you yeah, say his name. Ramchak. Like, they probably have the best tackle duo in the league when we think about it, but kind of what you mean, it took me a minute to even think of them. Like, that's a yeah. really good lockdown, pass protecting especially. And, and they've, they've, pat, they've had, they have a pass block for Drew Brees, who is one of the most prolific quarterbacks in our history of the NFL. So you know darn well if he gets sacked, it's probably your fault, so that's got to <laughs> yeah. add a little chip on the lineman's shoulder too. Like, it's yeah. kind of like when Tom Brady gets sacked, everyone blames the offensive line, no matter what the situation is. Exactly. And, and then on top of that, they can run block for Alba Kamara. Like, it's no big deal. They can The transition between run block and pass block for them is so fluid that it's just it's it's hard to look at and not just be in awe because you're like, as a former offensive lineman, you look at it like, all right, I'm going to be mostly pass blocking this drive. Okay, cool. So you're not as aggressive. You know, you're you're sitting back and let, waiting for somebody. And then the moment you start run blocking, you have to be that monster of a man. You know, you mentioned DeCastro just a second ago. You have to somehow be that guy after being a pretty relaxed, chill, like, okay, I'm just not going to let you buy me pass blocker. You, you go know? from like, a wall to a bulldozer, basically. Yeah, and, and to do that, and to do that effectively at such a high level, what they're doing, I, it's it's hard to... To not give them a two spot, like it's hard to put them in front of the Steelers, but if there's a team in front of the Steelers, in my opinion, I do think it's the Saints' offensive line at two. I will say one of their weaknesses is why I don't have them as high as you do is 
they're really good at run blocking, pass blocking. I think they're really good at zone run run blocking. Like they they find their spot, they block the running back Alvin Kamara, even Mark Ingram and whoever's back there will find a hole. They're not as much of a power offensive line necessarily. Like they don't maul people as much. So that's why I don't quite have them quite as high because they we kind of saw what the Cowboys did do them a little bit too. They kind of overwhelmed them with their physicality in that one in that game. They struggle a little bit with the Rams just because the Rams front seven is so physically gifted too. So. At the same token, obviously I'm splitting hairs here because that's what you kind of do at the top. And the Saints, I had them miss the top five. I had them at six. That's basically the only reasons because that was the one quote-unquote weakness, even though I'm staring at a hair right now to try and yeah. find that. But, <laughs> so It is definitely tough to find a weakness in that offense. But you're right. I mean, in a goal line situation, they're probably not my go-to offensive line. But then again, outside of the Cowboys offensive line, I don't really have a go-to in the, in the goal right. line for, uh, offensive line that I'd want to pick. So, you know. It is definitely splitting hairs in the top, but outside of the Cowboys, I feel like this is the second closest to being a top, you know, top level both passing and running blocking team. So cool. So who do you have at number three now? Number three, I have the Steelers. So Fitting. you know, the same same exact reasons you said. The reason I don't put them up there is just, you know, yeah, they have they're they're really good run blocking, but I do think their pass blocking sometimes is the issue. Uh, Pouncy. As a blocker, as a pass blocker, he's not as solid of a pass blocker. I feel like he's the weak link in their offensive line pass blocking. And if there's a rush, usually it's the reason why Ben's able to get out of it is because he's staring at the guy coming straight up the middle at him. So well, when they hold the ball for ten minutes in the box yeah. and stare straight ahead, that's true. But I know what you're getting at. Like, yeah, and you know, unlike but unlike the Saints' offensive line, they they have a big guy back there who can, you know, bet, Big Ben is not going to get taken down by one normal size corner normally like unless he chooses to go down basically yeah or unless they hit him in the back and they knock the ball out necessarily yeah. but so he's he's definitely they definitely have a little bit of luxury back there for better and for worse because sometimes yeah. he'll sit like oh this guy can't tackle me he can't tackle me oh man he's tackling me i should have hit juju on that drag instead of waiting for ab to run 80 yards darn exactly and as a center you probably don't want to be sitting there trying to block somebody for 10 minutes but... no he's probably the worst quarterback to block for a while also being <laughs> one of the best at the same time uh next to russell wilson i totally agree with that <laughs> but no, yeah, I definitely have the Steelers there, but that's probably my only gripe is in the center pass blocking wise is is just where I have and again it's splitting hairs. We're talking it could literally be two A and two B between these two. Um, but that's just my thought on the number three. Number three for me is a more Steelers version of the Steelers, with what we say is greater than some of their parts, the New England Patriots. Yeah. They were a top five by pro football focus. They spent September letting Tom Brady get hit and kind of working out the chinks. Like, they're always two and two, one and three, or whatever it is. Then, suddenly, they're unbeatable. Yeah. Tom Brady doesn't get hit. James White, Sony Michelle, Rex Burkhead, Jonas Gray, whoever you want to throw back there, Rex Burkhead. I mean, heck, throw me back there. I'll give you five yards of carry. Yeah, exactly. There's always room to run. And it's, it's purely coaching, because you have Nate Solder... Considered one of the top five left tackles, goes to free agency. Well, we'll be fine without him. He kind of sucks with the Giants, or isn't what he was paid for. Trent Brown, that giant monster of a human being they had at right tackle. Well, let him go to the Raiders for a record amount of money. They haven't missed a beat. I mean, they have some young talent like Hernandez, a kid they drafted. No, sorry, not Hernandez. Isaiah Wynn they drafted a couple of years ago. He didn't play last year also. He's coming back too. And you got Tom Brady who speed reads. He knows everything. He knows the entire field. You're, you'll trick him once a game if you're lucky, so... I think they just have the best cohesive offensive line. Like you, you sew them all together, and they you have like you have seven different colors of stitching, and it looks like they're all ugly: puke green, brown, orange. Yet like just ugly colors, yeah. like an ugly orange, not the cool looking orange, but like the orange that comes out of puke, basically. Oh, then gross, you sew yeah. them all together, and suddenly it's a beautiful piece of artwork. 
That's no, yeah. it's the most interest interesting way. It, just the biggest proof that NFL coaching matters big time. Oh yeah, for sure. I I mean, you're definitely not wrong. I do think the Patriots are really good. For me, they're kind of like how you have the Saints. They're they're good. They're just outside of the top five for me. Um, they I just, don't do anything great, but they do everything super well. Like they're eight out of ten across the board. They just don't have any nine or tens. Where the other teams have tens, but then they have some fives or sixes, basically. And yeah, to me, it is more of a question of if they had a regular quarterback not named Tom Brady, do they still do the same? It, because Tom Brady, his he literally holds the ball for maybe a beat. Like it's it's long enough to get his three step drop in, and the ball is usually out of his hand somewhere. I will say Jimmy Garoppolo didn't get hit a whole lot either, but he's also yeah. he's very similar to Brady with his stupid fast release and stuff like that. So we'll, Jacoby Brissett had a little bit of success for the game he had there. I look at the run blocking too. Like anybody eats oh, yeah. back there. Like oh, Sony Michelle's gone. Oh no, James White's not in. Oh no, Rex Burkhead's not in. Then Jarvis hey, Green Ellis you, recently. Guy up there in the third row. Come on down. We got you. <laughs> they just it's so Cordero Patterson played running back for them. It was effective. Yeah. I can't believe I almost forgot that monster of a human who's kind of disappointed as a receiver, but. I mean, James Devlin, a fullback, can get he gets some burn. Aaron Hernandez played a little bit. Like, yeah, they're no, just almost up there exclusively because of coaching, honestly. Because they pick guys that are pretty decent, smart guys. Like, all right, just put you here and you'll be fine. Yeah. Like, obviously, like we saw in the Super Bowl, that there's a little penetration from the stupidly talented Rams. But in the end, AD didn't really wreck the game. Nodama Kinsu didn't wreck the game. Nobody, Samson Abukam didn't wreck the game. No. Yeah, they didn't have their they didn't have a a Rams type game against them. They were able to. Bend but not break is that is kind of that offensive line and yeah. you're yeah. right though that their run blocking is outstanding and just for me I'm just looking at it like this is one of those cases where having a Hall of Fame quarterback in my eyes kind of hurts him because whereas Drew Brees will scan the field Tom Brady he knows where he's going it's he, like Michael Jordan in the fourth quarter he the already the, knows where he's, he's going. he's throwing the ball to the flats to James White or a two yard pass to Julian Edelman he's, you don't need two or three seconds to throw the ball at 10 feet. I mean, he's yeah. not going to really throw it downfield. If he does, it's just throwing straight into the sky and Gronkowski plucks it. So, I mean, yeah. he, Brady does have a luxury there of not having to worry about scanning the field because he already knows he's throwing it laterally. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's to your point, though, it's 100% great coaching. I oh, mean, 100%. you look at that offensive line, that is I look really good. But, again, in my eyes, not a top five, but I, I can see why you put them in the top five. They are definitely... I initially didn't quality. have them until we started kind of thinking about it. I looked at their playoff run against the Chargers. They mauled the Chargers offensive line. Tom Brady didn't even get a – he didn't even get dust on his uniform. Like, the only thing that got in his uniform was his own sweat. Why would he be sweating? Bosa, Ingram, they were completely nullified. Yeah. Derwin James, if they wanted to blitz him, useless. Like, they ripped the Chargers defense apart. Against the Chiefs, they whooped the Chiefs front sevens, but for 99% of the game minus the one-time D4 cracked Tom Brady for that interception that didn't count. And yeah. technically, D4 was offsides. Yeah, and other than that, I don't remember a whole lot of times Brady getting mauled. I mean, he got gets hit here and there just because his reads covering and he has to hold the ball. But Chris Jones, he didn't wreck the game. D four didn't wreck the game. Justin Houston, which by the way, that Chiefs defense all time bad. But that pass rush last year, looking back on it, all time good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they either got a sack or gave up a touchdown. And well, when you win twelve games, you get a whole lot of sacks. So yeah, exactly. So I'll say, and then in the Super Bowl, we talked about it. So. I think when it matters, that offensive line elevates it, rises to the occasion unlike any other. It's like Buster Douglas rising to the occasion to beat Mike Tyson. Yeah, exactly. So, so obviously, on paper, not that great, but they, they they do it when it counts. So I put them up there exclusively for that. On the field, I definitely, yeah. They definitely show out on the field. I definitely get it. So, I'm not picking them in Madden by any means. But no, not unless at Unless I get Tom Brady with them. <laughs> all right, so exactly. who do you have at number four as we start rounding this out? Uh, so number four, I actually have your guys, the Colts. Uh yeah, so it looks like uh, 
with Braden Smith growing and Quentin Nelson just continuing to be the monster of the man that he is. Biggest um, back ever assembled by a human being, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, no, they are, uh, I think those two linemen are just young up-and-comers to go along with Costanzo and then, uh, is it Glowinski is the left guard still? Mark Glowinski, yeah. The, <sighs> the most disappointing, right and the most disappointing, really good left guard to ever play for the Colts. Like, in the, in the history of the league, I think, we were complaining about him every time we watched a Colts game. Like, he's but really, yeah. really good, but he's playing on the right side where Quinn Nelson and Anthony Costanza are on the left, and Brandon Smith's to his right, and Ryan Kelly's his center, and yeah. he's just like, well, I'm really good in a starter quality guard, but these guys, gosh dang it, these guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's like the weakest link of a really good line. Like He's the Connor Williams of that yeah. line. It's, it's just, and he's not even that bad. Like, he was he was still ranked in the top ten in guards last year. Like, like he's really good. He's just not really great, and if somebody gets through, it's unfortunately usually his guy, and sometimes he... He likes to protect him, so he's the guy, the old-school offensive line. He's like, if you get beat, hold them so your guy doesn't get hit. Yeah. Unfortunately, when you have, like, usually Andrew Luck or a quarter, who's like Ben Roethlisberger, he's going to break away and make a play or something like that more often than not. And yeah. Obviously, you don't want Andrew Luck hit, especially all the hits he's taken. It's clearly added up. So, yeah. So obviously, I think Luck's okay with it, and he's he was the least sacked quarterback in the league last year, so Glowinski's obviously doing something right. Exactly. I didn't have the Colts at four. I actually have the Eagles at four. Okay. Because for a lot of the same reasons, like, Jason Peters, even though he's pretty much on his final leg, a Hall of Fame left tackle. Brandon Brooks, probably the best, the third best guard in the league behind big boy Quentin Nelson and Zach Martin. Yeah. Travis Kelsey, if not for Travis Frederick, I think would be the best center in the league. And then you got Lane Johnson, the best right tackle in the game. He could play tight end if he, he wants to. He could play quarterback if he wants to. He can do anything. on the, Honestly, I feel like he, out of a lineman in recent history, he's probably the most athletic lineman I think I've seen recently. Really, Weirdly enough. Offensive lineman, I think. I just consider them like Cowboys East. Even though they're both in the NFC East, the Cowboys are in freaking Dallas. They're not, in the, they're not in the East part of the coast. Yeah. I don't know why they're in the NFC East. But that's another topic. Yeah, we'll anyway, get to that one later on. <laughs> like that, just the Eagles could... Conference realignment, that's all. You... Put any quarterback you want back there. Carson Wentz is MVP candidate. Oh, no, he goes down. Let's win a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Yeah. Nick, Carson Wentz comes back, isn't quite himself, but they're still pretty good. Oh, man, he gets hurt again. Hey, Nick Foles, and suddenly we beat the Bears at Chicago in the playoffs. Oh, no, we don't have our old running backs. Let's get J.H.I. Oh, we're not feeling them anymore. Hey, Darren Sproles, Corey Clement. Anyone eats with them, too. They're uh, Josh Adams. I mean, like, you name it, yeah. They're, I don't get it. I, they, you know, they're on my list, but I have them at five, but... I, I love the Eagles, and I hate the Eagles. And say, as a Cowboys fan, I hate the Eagles, so it hurts me to say it. But you're right. If I was building, I think, a, if I was building a team, I want basically to just pick from them. Like if I was building a team, I'd like to think it would look a lot like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and they really do have the same formula as what the Cowboys did. You know, you got your center, you got your guard, you got your tackles, and it's you can't really complain with any of them. You're like, all right, I would take Travis Frederick or Jason Kelsey. You know, I'm I'm cool with either one of them. Don't get me wrong, Jason Kelsey's getting a little older, so maybe I still stick with Travis Frederick, but, like, bias again, you Ex- know. You can't go wrong. I think Kelsey's a little bit better, but little bit better pass blocking. Maybe Frederick's a little bit better with that downhill running, like splitting hairs. Same with Tyron Smith's probably a little bit better running, where Peters, I like passing. It's splitting hairs there. Yeah. I just think they're vastly underrated because... The Eagles have so many unique and fun ways to score with Carson Wentz and Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz, like a lot of big names. Doug Peterson became the talk of the town with his fearless book and everything. They overlooked the fundamental, basically the fundamental reason they won all those games is no one's hitting anybody. 
Yeah. They are killing everybody, and there is nothing getting near whoever the quarterback or running back is. I mean, LeGarrette Blunt rumbled and bumbled and stumbled throughout that Super Bowl. And I have a different different opinion on LeGarrette Blunt. That dude somehow managed to make mincemeat out of everybody, no matter where he plays. I don't get it, but... And weirdly enough, he plays for the Patriots, and the Eagles' offensive line is pretty yeah. darn good lines. That he, <laughs> They get him going to where he's on a second level, where he's on a linebacker or a safety who's like, oh, goodness gracious, here comes ta- a big man. Yeah. i got to tackle that lineman? You're kidding me, right? Oh, oh God. Great. Oh, great. I get to play against Adrian Peterson in elementary school. I thought this was flag football, but I was wrong. <laughs> William Hayes at running back, in my opinion. Oh, boy. Yeah. And then at number five, I have the Colts. Pretty much the same reason you have them. The questions I have with them is, Mark Lewinsky is really, really good. I want to see if he takes that next step to get a little bit better because he's a young guy. They're all really young, minus Costanzo. Costanzo is really good. If you help, if you give him a chip guy, no one's going to get by there. But if you don't chip with him, he gets beat around the edge sometimes. He's weirdly slow for an athletic guy. He's weirdly slow getting to his spot. Yeah. I, w- I remember watching that Eagles game. Basically in the fourth down and third downs, he got smoked around the edge a lot. Mark, I mean, Quentin Nelson, best guard in football, in my opinion. You could take Brooks or, Quint, or Zach Martin, whoever you want. Quentin Nelson, in my opinion, is the best. He does everything. Braden Smith, he started a little. He was a really good guard, which is what they wanted for. Injuries and just overall incompetence moved him to right tackle. He's developed to do a really good right tackle, one of the better ones in the league. Ryan Kelly, when he plays, I think he's given up one sack in his three years. He just he misses too many games is the only problem. But we're presuming they're all healthy. I have them at five, but they have the highest trajectory. Like, if we're looking at stock spikes, they're the one that has the most potential to spike and give you a max reward. Where the ones, will, they're already so high up, there's only so much higher they can go for the most part. So I think the Colts have, they're the potential team that's already peaking early. Like, they were rebuilding last year, and they won 10 games and were a play, won a playoff game. Exactly. Which goes for their offensive line, too. Like, And, and you know, they play, They came up against a juggernaut in the Chiefs. Otherwise, they probably advance further in the playoffs. And honestly, you look at a few mistakes with Adam Vinatieri, the best kicker of all time, arguably missed a couple cheap shot field goals, and that touchdown to Darius Fountain that bounced off his hands. That's like 17 points. I mean, the Colts were losing that game, but it's a lot closer. They kept Patty Mahomes out of the end zone. No one's done that all year. Yeah, it's crazy so, to think about. So it's it's wild. They make plays. That offensive line didn't look too good. I mean, some of those Jones, Ford, Houston, like they pressured a little bit. Some hands to the face in there. Like they they kind of <laughs> rattled that. that. They rattled that Colts offensive line a little bit. And it being cold, I just they bit off. They just were they were a little far ahead. Like they were. Yeah. They were reading a prompter, and then they suddenly were like three sentences too far from where they were reading. Like their eyes looked too far ahead, basically. Oh yeah. So like they're the, I like the Colts. Like I like you have them at four, I have them at five. They're a really good offensive line. They're gonna be fine for years to come. They've re-signed pretty much everybody. I mean, they're yeah. they're good. They're set. Yeah, they, and you're exactly right. You know, that that is probably a, a really good point with Casanzo. He does get beat around the edge, and he does need that help. He just horizontally moving. He's not that great. I think um, the speed guys, when he faces the power rushers, he can hold his own a little bit better. Like when it's Fletcher Cox on him, Fletcher didn't necessarily, obviously Fletcher's going to be a problem, but he didn't kill him. It was guys blaring around the edge, yeah, like what D Ford would grammar, do, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Just guys with speed he struggles with a little bit, which unfortunately nowadays everybody has speed. So yeah. we'll see week one. They got Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa coming in town. So with him and Brandon Smith, whoever's playing quarterback, whether it's Brissett, it's a dinged up luck, it's a 100% luck. Whether they decide to run Marlon Mack 50 times or drop back 40 times, we're going to find out how good this offensive line is week one for sure. We're going to oh, see yeah. if they've taken the next step, or we're going to find out. It's going to yeah. be – I'm excited. Week one's so close, I can't wait for the NFL season. That sophomore slump, whether it comes into play or not this season with, with guys like Braden or Quentin, it's, it's going to be the question mark. And they're facing something they didn't face at all last year, and that's expectations. I mean, a lot of teams consider them the dark horse thing, which I'm worried about them for a team like that because they're – 
They bit off a little more they could chew last year. It's natural to take a step down before you trajectory up. And then luck being injured, you never know with them. But anyway, we'll get back on topic now because we yep. we'll do some more team previews and record previews coming up as we get closer to the season. And naturally, we did top five offensive lines. We have to do top five pass rushers. Yep. And because of how weird NFL defenses are with positionless basketball playing football at this point, we're just going to go top five guys whose job it is to hit the quarterback. Their primary job is they go after the quarterback at least 50 plus 60% of the time. Like, Darius Leonard goes after the quarterback a lot. You'll see Leighton Vandrush sometimes blitzes just to create havoc. Like, they're not really pass rushers, though. No, so they're, they're field generals. We're, lit- we're directing this exclusively to guys that go after the quarterback. So I'm going to let you go first. Who do you have at the very top of the list? Number one pass rusher is that man, that monster, now former Oakland guy, now in Chicago, Khalil Mack. Uh, dumbest, I think the dumbest trade to ever happen was him going from the Raiders to the Bears. Unless that's unless Abram or Josh Jacobs turn into superstars of their own caliber, but we'll see about that. I mean, you need to have yeah. drafted Earl Thomas and Ezekiel Elliott with those picks, basically, for it to be okay. Exactly. I mean, this dude is, barring an injury last year, he's defensive player of the year. Honestly, those first five weeks of the yeah. NFL season, the best defensive football we've probably seen in a while, honestly. It was just such a stretch, because he was scoring, he was taking the ball away, he was disruptive. When he wasn't getting a sack, he's getting a sack. Yeah, I mean, it was video game numbers. Like, you don't have that many hurries, that many pass of, like, you don't affect that many passes unless you're playing a video game. Like, you're straight up, like, coming off the edge and just dominating some, every single lineman week after week after week. And it wasn't like he was going up against chumps every week. It was like, he was the real deal last year. And, and you know. Look what he did to that Bears defense. That was top 15-ish the year before. The one thing they're missing with a pass rush was a pass rush. Now they're the best defense in football because yeah. you got the best guy hitting the quarterback in the league. Like, I agree with you. I had him at one. He can do it all. Plus, when he, you triple-team him, that leaves other guys wide. Like, he has a weird effect of when you triple-team him, he's still effective. And he could kind of drop back if he needed to. Like, he's very versatile. Best, if, I'm picking, if I have to start a team and i got to pick a defense player first, it's probably him or, like, maybe Jalen Ramsey or something like that. Yeah. Like, it all depends. Like, I'm still probably taking Cleo Max. I'd rather take a guy that does everything, and you can't just avoid because you can move him all over the field. He could probably play defensive tackle if he wanted to. Oh, we – I mean, we have a Madden league, and – we saw what I did in the first first pick. I, you know, all the offensive guys are gone, and who do I take? Khalil. He he's arguably the defensive player of the year already in our league. And you can't go wrong with Khalil Mack. Like he's a stud. I agree with you. I had him at number one. There's not a whole lot to say except John Gruden. You should have paid that guy. I know it's yeah. hard. Pay the man. I know you don't want to put all your money into him and Derek Carr, but pay the man. <laughs> you saw uh, uh, to me. I look at John Gruden. I'm like, you saw what you did when you had Warren Sapp, and a dominant Rice, pass rusher. Like. Yeah. like why did you let a dominant pass rusher go? I mean, granted, he does have more first-round picks next year from that trade, so maybe he hits, and if you can, maybe they do like what the Patriots do. We don't know because we haven't yeah. seen John Gruden draft in a while. So if you can get like six B players from that these trades, as opposed to two B plus to a, B plus in Amari Cooper's case, they minus two and A plus plus. We'll see, we'll see. But, I mean, considering yeah. how he transformed the Bears, it looks like the Bears have won so far because they definitely did not lose giving up first-round picks for what will not be Khalil Mack. Yeah, exactly. And, and that is a good point. I mean, John Gruden's in it for the 10-year the range, okay. whereas Khalil's in it for the 5-year Khalil's in it for know? the, okay, I'm going to get mine because I'm the best defensive player in football, arguably, and was defense player of the year a couple years ago and hasn't really stepped off the gas since. I mean, yeah. The one game he didn't look like Khalil Mack was against, ironically, the Patriots, and if I'm not mistaken, he didn't even play in that game. Let me rephrase that. That was the one time the Bears' defense didn't look like the Bears' defense. Yeah. And I think it's either because, A, that Patriots' offensive line neutralized him, or B, because Khalil wasn't playing. I can't really remember if that was a game he was, that was He was in and out of the lineup. It was kind of the, 
Man. And you saw what he did week one to Aaron Rodgers, we, and that was coming out of a holdout. We saw Ooh. what he isn't it, uh, that offensive line for Green Bay by no means was great last year, but it wasn't like they all were, time bad. They were probably in the lower end of like a ten to thirteen ish area. We yeah. went that deep, and then what he did to Russell Wilson in week two, like he's a force of nature. And then go, and then once he got healthy again, he picked it up at the end of the year. Cleo Mack, best defensive player in the league in my opinion, best pass rusher moving forward. Agreed. Number two. <laughs> I have the reigning defense player of the year, Aaron Donald. Not a whole lot can be said about him. Best guy rushing up the middle we've probably ever seen. Yeah. Best first step probably we've ever seen from a guy who puts three hands on, on the ground, who puts three limbs on the ground. Yeah. At least three limbs on the ground. Yeah, if not a four-point stance. He's probably the best speed rusher in the league, honestly, as far as just using his pure athletic ability. The one thing I don't really like about him is he's a little smaller, and he's not. if you get a big guy that can lock up with him, he doesn't quote-unquote block shed quite as well as some of the bigger guys, which is splitting hairs like he's a B-plus at block shedding if you get engaged. He's, I think he's better just beating people to the punch so fast. And then his hands are really quick, and he has that does that little jumping thing that should not work where he leaps yeah. into the air. But he's, a, he's Aaron Donald. I don't even know what else to say. He had 20 sacks last year from a defensive tackle. The only reason I don't have number one is I think Khalil Mack affects the game just a little bit more by the slightest amount. And I think Aaron Donald... Well, he gets a lot of the sacks. I think Khalil Mack also takes the ball away just a wee bit better. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not going to say I disagree with Aaron Donald because if you've listened to our previous episodes, I will rave about Aaron Donald time after time after time to almost the point of, like, a bromance level. Like, it's – I love As the guy. About but about to disagree. <laughs> but with that said, I don't have him that high yet. And honestly, don't know why, but I have Vaughn Miller too. Um, I just think what Vaughn does from a – that stand-up position is equal, if not more influential for his team. Like, the Broncos need him more than the Bears need Khalil Mack or the Rams need Aaron Donald to do what they do because they have no back-end presence on the Bear- the Broncos. Like Besides Chris Harris. Chris, Chris Harris is it. Like, that's it. Like, you, 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 and they're not throwing at Chris Harris. They're throwing at the other corner. Like, you know, yeah, so... The no-fly zone has turned into a pretty decent fly zone for the most part. Exactly. So I, I feel like Von Miller, what he does is at pass rushing at such a high level is needed. So to me, that's a little bit more. If I'm ranking him, I'm going to put him a little bit higher because he needs to continue his output. So he's the most likely week in and week out to carry the same numbers over. Whereas with Khalil, we did see a drop off on him, you know. What I will say, but I still have him at number one. Like, you know, so it's like it, it, this is again like the offensive line. It's splitting hairs. What I will say about Von Miller is he has one thing no one else on either one of our list has is he won a Super Bowl with his exploits. And I will agree with you on he is fantastic. I have him a little bit lower simply because he his dominance recently hasn't translated to wins quite as much. I know there's plenty of other issues on those teams. Yeah, and I, that Broncos team needs a lot to be fixed. They're working on it right now. And he's fantastic. I do have him in my top five a little bit lower. We'll get to him. He's fantastic. I think he strips the ball better than a lot of other guys do. He's got that tomahawk pretty well down. And I think he's... His bull rush is pretty good, too, depending on the tackle. Like, the bigger tackles, like a Jason Peters or Lowell Collins, Tyron Smith, he can't really bull rush them quite as well. Yeah. Where Matt can bull rush a damn wall and be just fine. AD will somehow jump through a wall. I don't yeah, know how he it does. doesn't. I don't get how he I think Von Miller can be it. slowed down just a little bit by the really big guys if he doesn't beat them to the edge. Yeah, he's currently, you know, now he's got that issue where now teams are keyed in and double-teaming, triple-teaming him, chipping him, and then double-teaming him or chipping him, and then... Double teaming him with a running back there to help still like so he does have a lot more eyes on him um, now. But I do think that tomahawk that that strip sack, I mean, it's a thing because of Von Miller's 
exploits for so many years. Like him, Dwight Freeney, guys that just mastered yeah. that for years. Reggie White even was really good at it. Like, and he's probably the best in the game still at it. I, I it's hard to not put that in part of the consideration because if he does touch your quarterback, it's a 50-50 chance that ball's coming out. You know, it's not – you can't guarantee anything once Von Miller touches your quarterback. It's – he's either taking the ball away or that quarterback's going to regret you holding on to the ball. One thing I like about him is he's – I won't say he's consistent. Like, obviously, all these guys are consistent, but I think guys like Mack and Donald and stuff, some of the other guys talk about, when they get into a zone, it's like, well, here they go. Here's a three-sack game come. Where Vaughn's basically more of a, I'll get you a sack a game, maybe two. He's not really a three- to five-sack explosion guy. No. He's just kind of consistent with it. He's always going to give you – it's like the old joke they used to make about Trent Richardson. If you need two yards, he'll give you two yards. If you need two, three yards, he'll give you th- two yards. Yeah. Where Vaughn, it's like, if you need five sacks, he'll give you three sacks. If you need two sacks, he'll give you three sacks, which yeah. in this case is not a bad thing. Like, I'm not comparing to Trent Richardson by any means. It's just a similar no. <laughs> adage on an opposite end of the spectrum. No, you're exactly right. He does He does exactly what is needed of him um, week which in, week is, out. And obviously he does a little bit more. He just doesn't – he doesn't have as many explosion games, which yeah. ironically one was in a Super Bowl, so you can't obviously, obviously fault him. He's on my top five as well. Two years ago he's probably number one, if not number two, behind Khalil Mack. Yeah, absolutely. I just think other guys have emerged while he's still been dominant. Like he's still a quote-unquote 98-99 overall guy. So I yeah. just have not All right, so who do you have at number three then? So number three I do have Aaron Donald. Uh, you know, yeah. like I said – I rave about him all the time. I do love his first step. I don't think it's something you can teach. It's that is so naturally gifted. He He's is the so worst good. guy to teach somebody how to play defensive lineman. He's yeah, the absolutely. last guy you have him watch his tapes. Like I just want to watch Aaron Donald tapes to be an NFL defensive tackle. No, you're not, sir. Go watch <laughs> anybody else because you are not doing that. If I were a coach and some kid came up to me and said I want to be the next Aaron Donald, I'd probably be like, No, you can't be. And I, I mean that in the best ways possible. Not like I don't. I don't want to support your dreams. I mean like. Literally, you can't do that. It's physically should be impossible, but he somehow makes – he breaks physics to do what he does. I, I mean, you, you joked about him somehow making it through a wall. I think I, he just probably just breaks the space-time continuum, walks right through it. <laughs> this, you know, cells and everything just part ways. It's like the Red Sea. It's just – I don't get how he does it. If there's a quarterback on the other side, he'll find a way there. It, does, yeah, it he, doesn't matter. He's, it's like see ball, hit ball. He sees quarterback, he hits ball. Like, that is exactly what Aaron Donald does, and it is shocking how he does it. You know, it's yeah. crazy. I don't, I don't get it. I'm, I'm in awe watching him every time. No, nothing else needs to be said. We already kind of went over. <laughs> yeah. We've gone over. So for me, number three, if peeing your pants is cool, consider me Miles Garrett. Uh, he's, I think he is an emerging defensive player of the year. He wasn't quite as dominant early as rookie season, being a number one overall pick, and he had a little bit of injury things here and there. He's a he's a big human. He's a big boy. Like he do, doesn't have quite the natural gifts of Aaron Donald, for example. But he's fast off the line too. He is fast in the open field, and he is strong. Like he's Aaron Donald with some girth to him, basically. Not quite as fast, but at thirty pounds and a few inches of height, I think he's going to be a defense player of the year at some point in this league. Maybe not next year. Although I know some people on like NFL Network I've seen have said he's going to be, but. I think this year he's going to give you 15 sacks because I think that offense is going to put up points and he's going to get to just key in on, key in on pass yeah, rushing. It's going to be a lot of pass rushing. And he's got some good defensive players around him. Denzel Ward's an emerging superstar corner. That one guy opposite him, Oyo Bainanjo, I have no idea how to say his name, but he is really <laughs> good as well. They, they got some young emerging pieces. That offense is going to put up points. I mean, I don't it just know if sets gonna, up for Miles Garrett to have monster tears. I think they're almost building like those early 2000 Colts where they just – they didn't have a whole lot of defensive studs, but they had two guys on the edge that killed quarterbacks and Peyton Manning gave you a lead. I think the Browns are kind of looking like that right now in a, just in a more pass-happy league. They're like, all right, 
Odell, Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Baker Mayfield. I think we'll score some points here. Pretty good <laughs> offensive line nonetheless, too. All we got to do is keep it close, somehow get like a 20-10 to 10 lead and unleash the Garrett. Yeah. So I think he's going to... I think he's going to take a big step. My guessing for him right now, assuming everything stays healthy and everything works out, 13 and a half to 14 sacks, four-ish, four fumbles. I think he's going to score a touchdown somehow, too. He's going to have double-digit tackles for loss. He's going to end up with about 50 total tackles, maybe even 60. I think this could be the year where if the Browns take that step, everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon and say they will. It's going to be because of Baker Mayfield, obviously, and Miles Garrett. Yeah. Odell's fun, but Odell's not going to put them over the top quite like those two will. I, you know, I agree with everything you said. But, but. You, you said you said it earlier, and it, I, it is agreeing with you. He is an emerging talent, and that to me is why I have him off my list. Is he's emerging? He's not there yet. I think he at the end of the last year he, he is could. there yet. I but. think at the end of last year he jumped there, and I think it's only uphill. But I, up, not uphill, but like it's only up from here. But yeah. I get what you're saying. Like there's other guys. If you had to win a game tomorrow, you'd probably take before him. Exactly. Yeah. No. And but to the point of saying that is. You know, like we said, Aaron Donald, is, if a kid came up to me and said, I want to be the next Aaron Donald, I'd be like, no. If a kid came up to me and said, I want to be the next Miles Garrett, I'd be like, let's do it. Let's how, go. Like My thing is, how much can you bench and how fast are you? Because you got to be better than pretty much everyone else around you at that, but it's a lot more attainable than Aaron Donald. Yeah, he like, is. you got to run a 4.8 and be able to put up like 25 on the bench, which is more attainable than Aaron Donald's 4.5 or whatever the hell he runs while also being yeah. able to jump over a horse to kill a quarterback. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I look at Miles Garrett and I do see, think he is a physical freak. Uh, who can probably destroy me in a one-on-one battle. No, in there's no less, probably. In less than <laughs> 0.2 seconds. I mean, I think like he, he would literally look at me and be like, sorry, kid, slap me across the helmet. I'd be like it next week. Like, I, I just don't get it. And if anyone uh, doesn't know, you're not exactly a small guy either. No, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm uh, the opposite of small. Uh, you might say, call me a lighthouse, if you will, of a human. Um, some call me Sasquatch. You know, it's, it is what it is. But no, it, he is honestly just... A freak of nature, but to me, I just don't have him in the top five because he is just—he is emerging. I haven't seen it from him solidly for a year. You see what you're saying is by week eight, you're gonna be like, okay, he should be a top five. Oh, I, most likely is what you're thinking. If we revisit this at the end of the season, he's gonna be in my top five because I do agree with you. I do think he'll be like 13 to 15 sacks this season, and I do think if this Browns team is gonna be what they're supposed to be, it will be Miles Garrett leading that defensive line and Denzel Ward on the backside making all the mistakes that the quarterback will make because he's getting pressured, he's he getting rushed, it. and it's going to be Denzel Ward picking up a lot of notoriety at corner and to I be do that think, superstar. I do think Miles Garrett was a quote-unquote superstar pass rusher last year. It was just hard to tell because they had Terod Taylor, and they were mediocre for those first games. Yeah. And you had a rookie quarterback who, as great as Baker was, he was a rookie quarterback still. So you weren't exactly put in positions to thrive like a lot of these other pass rushers were. Exactly. But, you know, we saw, we saw him at the – uh, Minnesota Timberwolves we went game we went to and it's a big man. Yeah, he's just sitting on the bench and he's he, he is just way up bigger than everybody else. And you just we looked across the the court and I mean we were not that far, but we were far away from his where he was sitting courtside and we both still recognized him immediately. Like it's like that's Miles Garrett. The dude literally looks like you put like a square table on an upper body. Like that's him. Like he's what we said about Quentin Nelson's back, that's like what Miles Garrett's front looks like basically. He's, yeah, like he's, it, it, prototypical what you'd want to build in the gym, that Dorito shape or whatever. Yeah, that's what that's what it is. I mean, like I don't I don't get it. It's just he's, he's a monster of a man. So he is he's set to come out and he likes dinosaurs. So he's you know good in my book. He's he's great. I can't wait to watch him. Is <laughs> I can't wait. So number four, I have another guy who's pretty much the opposite of Aaron Donald because he's massive and he's huge. 
And he's a guy that was in the opposite of Miles Garrett situation because while Miles Garrett didn't have a lot to work with, this guy was playing from ahead the entire damn season. Chris Jones on the Chiefs, the defensive tackle. 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, 320 pounds. Big, massive human, kind of like what we've been saying about Nelson and Garrett, but he's probably even bigger than they are. He's a little taller than... He's a monster. He's a defensive tackle type guy as well. He's like a 3-4 end, so he basically played the J.J. Watt position. Now he's moving to a 3 technique inside. He's going to be basically what Aaron Donald was before. He's huge. He's massive. He's got quick hands and surprisingly quick feet. I mean, he ran a pretty good 40 at the combine, too. He was sub-5 for over 300-pound guy. And you saw he had, I think it was 16 sacks last year, 15. He was in the top five as a defensive tackle. That defense gets a lot of heat. We talked about this earlier because they gave up so many points and yards. But him, D. Ford, and Justin Houston got a bunch of sacks. And in that playoff game against the Colts, Chris Jones was kind of giving it to Ryan, like the Quentin Nelson, I think Ryan Kelly. Yeah, Ryan Kelly as well. Like he was just a force up the gut. Even when he doesn't get sacks, he does that hands to the face thing too. He gets away with it a lot too. Like he yeah, pushes the helmet gets up. right underneath that chin. Yeah, and it just. And it just kind of freezes the offensive lineman and gets by them. So, and he's really good against the run. I know we're talking about pass rushers, but he's a force against the run too. Similar to these other guys, I think he might even be the best run defender I have on this list. Maybe Probably. Khalil Max better. I think Max sets the edge better than anyone I've seen in a long time. But nobody wants to run to that edge. Not at all. And you don't want to <laughs> run away from either. You want to just hope he he takes the playoff, which he doesn't. <laughs> but anyway, Chris Jones. He's Next to Aaron Donald, if Aaron Donald didn't exist, if this was a world where guys weren't broken like that, yeah. he'd be the best interior pass rusher in the league, in my opinion. He's a force of nature. I think he's going to get better, too. I mean, I think playing like a, in a 4-3 defensive tackle, he's not going to get double teamed quite as often. You don't have, Granted, he did have D. Ford and Justin Houston that took a little pressure off because he was the guy that kind of was like, oh, this guy came out of nowhere, and suddenly he has 15 sacks and is third in the league. Where now they're like, all right, Start there, then get Frank Clark, and hopefully the other guys don't also get 30 sacks. Yeah. So he might not have as much production, but I think he'll be very disrupted this year. I think this is – he's another one where if the Chiefs are going to come back and be as deadly, it's going to be Patrick Mahomes not regressing and Chris Jones getting pressure. Uh, yeah. I like the Chris Jones pick. He's not in my top five. Um, I just – honestly, I overlooked him. And it's easy to do because he is he was that third guy. If you look at the line as far as like – Name notoriety, yeah. number three. But then production-wise, it's like, oh – that's the guy doing it. Yeah, and so, you know, I did overlook him, so that's that's on me. I should have probably checked that out a little bit further. I have his teammate on my top – or former teammate on my top five, but we'll get to him in a, it's, in a minute. It's hard not to overlook him when that Chiefs defense was so historically bad as far as yards and points getting up. Like, on paper, they were terrible, but then when you watch the games, it's like, oh, they're not as bad as you think. They just yeah. give up, like, three 50-yard plays, unfortunately. I mean, it's and it's easy to be a really bad defense when you have an offense that's as great as they were. You're on the field because, for like, 60% of the game. Exactly, yeah. You don't have time to rest. You don't have – you don't also have to worry about it. Like, you're up by six touchdowns in the first quarter. You're just like, ah, they can get one. Oh, they can get two. We're good. Patty's gonna keep throwing. Oh, wait, it's close in the fourth. All right, now we're gonna we're gonna take the quarterback's head off. Like, you know. But to me, I think you're right. Chris Jones is gonna be the reason if they if that defense recovers this year, he'll be the reason. But to me, I think he's just he's too balanced in my opinion to be the top pass rush, to be you know that, that top pass rushing threat. But he's not as freaky as Aaron Donald or the yeah. other interior pass rushers. Which you're not wrong. I just. I'm thinking if I'm building an offensive line, I was like, I don't want to have to block a guy that kills everybody in the middle. That's where my quarterback steps up. It's easier for him. And yeah. they stick their hands up and they kill the drags and the spot routes. Like, So for me, I think he's more he could be more disruptive than a lot of edge guys because he's so good at pass rushing up the gut. But I get what you're saying. Anyway, yeah. Who do you have at number four then? So for number four for me is, again, probably bias plays a little part of this. Demarcus Lawrence. 
You can't go wrong there. He's yeah. a rich man too. I mean, hard to hard to not pay. You know, to talk about a man that just got paid as much as he did. And rightfully so too. I mean, he yeah. played the year on the franchise tag and dominated. He didn't. He's like, all right, you're gonna franchise me, but you ain't gonna do it again. Yeah, and, exactly. He's like, he, he's gonna play himself into a contract, and he did. Good on um, the Cowboys for not ruining that. There's some issues with Zeke, Dak, and everyone else they're talking about now. Amari, who can pay? They got one of them right at least. At least their defense is going to be okay. Even if you know, even if you have Byron Jones, Leighton, and J- they have a lot of young guys they have to pay. But at least you kept, in my opinion, the best defensive one to keep. Yeah, and and to me, I think I look at Demarcus Lawrence, and he's still young. He's still what, like 24, 25? 26, something like that. He's yeah. a young buck. He, he'll he's play still, through that contract and be pretty good, barring he just he pulls a Des Bryant or something. Yeah, I mean the dude's the dude's not going anywhere anytime soon. I don't see him dropping off dramatically. If anything, he might get better. Um, we'll see. I don't know, but you have behind him you have Van Der Esch there growing. You have Jalen Smith tackling Tim, machines. Yeah, you got guys that will force anything into Demarcus Lawrence on a run play. So, rush-wise, he's got protection back there, too. They're all really good coverage guys. Minus Jeff Heath. Yeah, minus Jeff Heath. Well, that's a different story. That guy's probably not even starting this year, so pray to the pray to the football gods Jeff Heath doesn't start, um, unless it's kicker, in which case, go ahead. Uh, not Dan Bailey. You know, he needs to... Let it go. Anyways. Let it go. Moving <laughs> Anyways, on, Demarcus moving, Lawrence. I agree ahead. with you. Demarcus Lawrence is a freak of nature. Fantastic. A lot of things I said about Miles Garrett kind of similar to him, just maybe a little less naturally gifted freaky. He's probably better with his hands, better with his footwork, probably a little bit better reading it. Yeah. We're, we did a top ten list. He's easily on the top ten list. Like I kind of struggled with him, Chris Jones, and who I have at number five. I was like, who do I want to put here? Who do I want to put here? Who do yeah. I the one thing with DeMarcus Lawrence, which I think is kind of interesting, is he lines, a lot, lines up a lot at left end as opposed to right end, where a lot of teams put their best pass rusher at right end to hit the quarterback's blind side. With them, they're like, no, nah, we're just going to put them on the right tackle. Since usually right tackles aren't as good as pass blocking. Like, yeah. Obviously, some teams are bucking that trend, like the Eagles putting Lane Johnson at right. It just depends. But like, there's like, ah, oh, screw it. Even if he sees you coming, we'll hope you'll get there anyway. Which he yeah. does anyway. I mean, like, it's just kind of interesting. He doesn't always face the best left tackle necessarily. But at the same time, it, I don't really think it really matters. I think it's kind of positionless at the same time. He can obviously do both. I mean, Yeah, no, he's – but you're right. His biggest success does come from that left-hand side that – is right in the quarterback's face. And that's almost like, if you're the quarterback, what are you thinking when you're seeing this large man sprinting at you after leaving your tackle to, like, smother himself on the ground? Like, he's just running at you like he wants to kill you. Like, what are you thinking? Depends. If I'm Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger, Russell Wilson, like a mobile quarterback, or Luck and Roethlisberger, his big quarterback, I'm thinking, all right, just get out of the way. This this is kind of normal. Or in Ben's case, like, oh, good, the play has started. Now that I'm about to get hit. (laughs) If I'm Andrew Luck, I'm like, gosh, dang it, I hate This is just the story of my life. If I'm Russell Wilson, I'm like, okay, now I run backwards. If I'm any other quarterback necessarily, like a pocket pass or like a Drew Brees, I'm like, oh, gosh dang it, and then fall down. Yeah, I'm doing the Eli Manning. I'm just, I'm rolling into a ball and falling on the ground and just like, just touch me. Don't hurt me, please. I'm doing the Peyton Manning and just like, nope, falling on my face. Like, don't do it. (laughs) It must be a Manning brother thing. I've seen them both do it and it's hilarious because they're barely getting touched. And Tom did it a little bit too before his offensive lines took off. Like, it's smart. If you're not a guy that can move, you get down so you don't end up like Cam or Luck or those guys that have been banged up. Yeah, I just, I just, I look at it that him, him coming back to DeMarcus Lawrence coming from the left end. I just if he's coming at your face as a quarterback and he's still causing as much stat damage as what he's doing, like his stats are next level. I mean, he is one of the best pass rushers in the league and his stats back it up. And like he's doing that from the front side. And that's what's crazy to me. Is like you you're staring at the guy the whole time. There's not very many lefties. So, you're staring at this man running at your face like and he's still able to do it. So it just throws me for a loop. I just don't I don't know. 
I think it does help that he's usually not always going against the best tackle, but like I said, we are splitting hairs. He's clearly a top 10 defensive end pass rusher in the league. Top five, can't really argue it, honestly. He's fantastic. No. Yeah. So, right, so, number five, I'm going to go first on this one because we're revisiting a guy. I have Von Miller here. Everything we said before, the only reason is I think those other guys kind of ascended ahead of him just a little bit. Like, he's still a 98-99. The problem is, I think... He's on kind of a bad team, unfortunately, and I know Bradley Chubb emerged next to him, which is awesome. So, I don't know. It's like you can't put them all at number one, basically. And unfortunately, <laughs> I think Vaughn was, was pushed down a little bit. If you put Vaughn on my team, I'm winning games. Like, yeah. that's just the thing. Like, even, I, mostly because I say I will rebuild better than John Elway did because he can't pick a quarterback to save us. John Elway is like Michael Jordan in the NFL. You just He was a great player, but rebuilding a franchise and finding talent, I question a lot. I'll give him credit. He can build literally anything besides a quarterback. He found some good receivers. He's brought in some guys, Aqib, Tlaib, Chris. Like, he built really good everything except he can't find a quarterback. He had, he had that Peyton Manning bless him from the heavens, basically. But, yeah, that's true. I mean, finding Julius Thomas, like, he he's found some what Corlin Sutton, Sutton looks really nice, too. I mean, Noah Fant, that's a good first-round pick, I think, for that. I don't know if John Elway had much to say about Noah Fant, though. <laughs> well, if we're going to give him, we're going to say it's his fault for everything else, then I'll give him credit for what he <sighs> can do. I'll say, weirdly enough, he's a quarterback that can't pick a quarterback. Unless yeah. Drew Locke, we'll see. I see him as Andy Dalton with a stronger arm, honestly, but we'll see. Yeah, Michael Jordan can't pick a Basketball the next, player. The next goat to save his life either. So you yeah, know. he just can't pick a basketball player in general. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. so I just have Von Miller there by default. Everything we have said, he's fantastic. He just can't leave him off the top five. But at the same time, I can't put him at number one. Or like, there's not enough spaces. There's not one A, one B, one C, one yeah. B, one. I can't. So Von Miller, fantastic. Number five. Number five. You got kind of an interesting one here. Yeah. So number five, I, we talked about Chris be, being up there, and I, I don't think he's the best chief, chief, you know, pass rusher. I got D Ford up there. Um, I look at it as he was the guy that every team keyed in on every every pass rush attempt. So that's the guy to me is the best pass rusher, the most influential pass rusher on his team. I'll disagree. I think it was Justin Houston last year, but I mean, obviously, like I think yeah. as the season went on, Justin Houston was still really good. They just kind of realized those other guys are producing too. But I think for most season teams, were like, oh, Houston, the guy that had twenty two sacks in one year, let's block him. Yeah. And but it, I know what you're getting. It let D Ford eat, but then even when he was being keyed in on, it he still was able to get off it. And Chris Jones, is, you know, influencing plays. But I just think I don't know. I, I see a lot of a lot of what Von Miller does and what D Ford does, and I just think that is that in and of itself is kind of uh, intriguing. But it, you know, it's kind of the point I made with Miles Garrett for you. It's he is emerging, he is still growing, but I just. At this point, I look at him and I, I don't know. I also just kind of want to be different. I honestly, a, I will give. You, I will say one thing. He's in the top ten for pass rushers based exclusively on the fact that he led the NFL in forced fumbles last year. He had eight. Yeah. I mean, the other guys are out there. Cleo Mack at six, Justin Houston at five. So obviously, him and D Ford spent some time together. Obviously, yeah. I mean, got other guys are out there. Von Miller, Darius Leonard, who's not really a pass rusher. Aaron Donald had four. So he led a really strong group. But the other number two and three are guys I want to talk about who are not on the list coming up in a second. We talk about guys that missed it. Yeah, but when you lead the league in forced fumbles as a pass rusher, a lot of those you know are coming from hitting a quarterback or a tackle for loss type of thing. Very few of them are down the field punching the ball out like Darius Leonard. Exactly, and he only played really for the Chiefs. He really only played passing downs. Like he wasn't really on the field unless it was a pass rush situation very often. Which, to the detriment of being overlooked, is kind of a you know the sad part about it because if you're not an every down lineman or you know, rushing it, rusher, you kind of get overlooked a lot, so. Which, with him being on the 49ers, 
that is one heck of a front seven they got going right now. You got Nick Bosa if that this little if this injury has doesn't turn out to be too bad. Let's say he turns into Joey Bosa basically. Just yeah. we'll say you got DeForest Buckner, probably the next emerging defensive tackle superstar. You got Solomon Thomas, who's a top ten, top number three overall pick, who hasn't quite lived up to it yet, but he still can make plays. Now you got D Ford on top of that. I mean, that's a pretty good front seven yeah. you got going there. John Lynch is doing something good in San Francisco. Yeah, and then <laughs> their offense is looking. We'll talk more about San Francisco when it comes to season predictions. I got some words for them. Oh, yeah. The... No doubt. And now a couple of guys that are left off the list that I just kind of want to mention because they were second and third as far as forced fumbles. The Watts, JJ and TJ. Yeah. JJ's awesome. Fantastic bounce back season. Could If it wasn't for Andrew Luck, he would have been comeback player of the year. But, I mean, it's hard to be a better comeback player of the year than with the quarterback who was second in the NFL in touchdowns and led a decrepit franchise to the playoffs, honestly. <laughs> and while J- and JJ Watts awesome, not taking anything away. He doesn't quite get after the quarterback like he did pre-injuries. Like he still gets sacks, but I think it's just it's not as rel- it's, it's not as quite as relentless as he used to be. Like it's just because yeah. he's usually more athletically gifted and stronger and probably better technician. Like three years ago or whatever it was before the injuries, when he was getting twenty sacks and he had this stupid motor from heck, he'd probably be number one just because you cannot block him. Oh yeah, he was he had a motor from heck and he still tries. Like he still has a motor. I just think he's you can slow him down more over the course of a game. And then T.J. Watt, I don't know what to think. Like He's fantastic at going after the quarterback, but I feel like it's a little bit inflated, I guess I should say, because they were always playing with the lead with that Steelers team, and his sacks were – he had like three of them against the Browns in opening week or whatever it was. Like He's fantastic. He's going to be a pro bowler for years to come. He's awesome. I just don't know if I put him up that high yet. He's he's a guy kind of like we said about D. Ford, only with passing downs. He's like – early years D Ford. He'll he'll get there, but right now I can't put him that high over guys like Khalil Mack and even D yeah. Ford or JJ But JJ's in the top ten, clearly. I mean he's probably like seven for me if I had to rank top ten. Yeah. Oh yeah. His going after the quarterback's not what it used to be. Now he's simply to Kembe Matumbo trying to bat down drag routes at this point. Yeah. Which I mean obviously you're the seventh best pass rusher in the league. That's not bad by any means. I'm just simply saying <laughs> yeah. he's not number one or two the freak of nature he was for so long. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. I I mean I look at the Watts, and I honestly look at their sack numbers, and I almost think they're whoopsie sacks. Like, I just – I think they, they luck themselves into sacks by just being stronger than the other person. I, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from them. I just think – I look at TJ, different story. TJ's just becoming a full pass rusher now. I mean, 13 sacks in your second year, 7 yeah. sacks in your – that's obviously really good. Not, not terrible by any means. I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, like, for JJ, I feel like JJ, his whole process – is to engage with the linemen and then keep him at arm's length. He's 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 there to knock down any passes, get picks. If he gets a sack, he gets a sack. Great. But his biggest like the one thing that he does that affects the game so much are those deflections from hell. I don't know how he does it. I don't know his timing me- mechanism, but he is really good at. It. He's the first person that really to make it become a stat that needed to be recorded. He's the best ever probably the best ever dude yeah. other guys like chris jones and other big guys like that are starting to learn how to do it too so. yeah fletcher cox is another one or gerald mccoy down in tampa like and they're not nearly as tall as those guys they're just like oh well i'm ready here i'll stick my yeah. arms over jj's six foot five and he could jump what 80 inch vertical or whatever it is and yeah. he's a freak of nature seeing him do those box jumps so oh yeah he's a monster so and obviously we're not trashing jj we're yeah. saying i look at these other guys i'm like all right i'd probably pick these guys if i'm building a defense first which if you give me any of these guys, I'm going to smile and sign my soul away for my defense yeah. really quick. Like, would you like my firstborn child? Okay, here you go. Like, well, not that far now. <laughs> hey, look, at this point, they can have my dog if they, well, maybe not. But, All right, moving back on to the track now. But, <laughs> but JJ's no, fantastic. He's number six, seven. He's yeah. right there. They, he's 
honorable mention at this point. Like, and then his his teammate JJ's teammate Jadavian. The reason why I, I personally I didn't want to put him in my top ten or top five, let alone like I don't look at him as a pass rusher. I look at him as a, a great run stopper, but he kind of takes a pass. He's a great edge off. defender who gets sacks, honestly. Yeah. Like, he doesn't really... Like, there's some games where he just kind of disappears, and you're like, how? Yeah. But then there's other games where he's like, oh, there's the Jadavian Clowney that made a name for himself from killing a Michigan running back and then exactly. was a first overall pick. Yeah, he, he absolutely demolished a Michigan running back. Sent him into... The Arnold. shadow realm, basically. Yeah, like, like, And he's fantastic, too. Like, he's a guy I would... He wouldn't be my first overall pick if I was picking a defensive player, but he's a really good ancillary part. I mean, he's a good Scottie Pippen if I have Michael Jordan with me type of player. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, which is why I'm surprised him and JJ haven't resulted in a whole lot more. I mean, like, obviously they won the division last year and got to a playoff game, but they weren't really that dominant. Like, they had games where their defense showed up, but they did not... They didn't really force the issue on anyone. Like, they didn't intimidate anybody as much yeah. as they should. Between those two and Bernard... McKinney behind him. And then you got Whitney Merciless, too. Yeah, like, like, I feel like those four, there should be a lot more from that pass rush that's not there. Don't be wrong, it's a great pass rush. It's just... It's not like the Chiefs eh. pass rush or, like, the Eagles or, like, teams that as a unit, they're like, oh, I don't want to block them. The Bears, like, other ones where all their pieces play like it. For some reason, those guys, they almost trade games like, all right, I'll get two sacks. Okay, I'll get a sack. Like, yeah. they don't all just go... They don't all go after it. They don't, like, fight to get there, basically. It's like, oh, whatever happens. Exactly, And yeah. I'm not questioning their heart or how they play. I'm just saying that's how the game looks. Like, they don't all dominate simultaneously and take over a game. They don't win games 21-0 to because of that defense. Which, to their own positivity, I mean... At least you ha- don't have to worry about everybody being off on the same game. Very rarely does that happen. I yeah. mean, like, maybe in that playoff game against the Colts, they weren't all on until the second half they started clicking a little bit. That first half, they were all really, really off. I mean, they got picked apart. Yeah, and it doesn't happen very. It doesn't happen often, so that is a positive note to take away from, from that if you're a Texas fan. But if you're, you know, if you're a you, Texas do, fan, you, you do want more. more. You go away from the games. You're like, wow, that was cool. Which is crazy to think but, when J.J. Watt has 16 sacks and 7 forced fumbles, it's just like there's a process how to get there. There's a difference between numbers and watching the game. And J.J. is a stud. He's going to be a stud next year. The Texans are going to be in the playoffs. I think they'll be a wild card team probably. Or do I? We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but when you have Deshaun Watson, J.J. Watt, you'll be okay. And yeah, I think exactly. J.J. Watt, he'll still be one of the best pass rushers for another three to five years or so, barring injuries, knock on wood. Yeah, I think no, if you yeah. take away those injuries, he might even still be number one right now. I just think they took away a little of that extra something that extra relentlessness he had where it's like oh that's a guy i don't mess with and i avoid him at all costs i put four people on him and hope i just outrun the other guys or something he went from being able to run through a cinder block wall to he might make it through some some cardboard like, he used to be able to crash that cinder block wall in a second so well i'll knock it down in a few seconds like just yeah, let me get my sledgehammer first like exactly like you know. he's more blockable now than he was before which still resulted in him top five in sacks i mean yeah no, he, don't get me wrong like we're not taking anything away from him. we're just I just go away from watching J.J. Watt, just wanting that little bit more, like that extra zing, you know? And now that we say that, he's going to come back and have like 20 sacks next year, which I'm all for it because I love watching J.J. work when he's going after the quarterback, so we'll exactly. see. Exactly. I do. Uh, yeah. So we're going to move away from the gridiron. We're going to go to the court talking about rankings. There's not a whole lot going on in basketball right now, but one thing that stuck out to us is they ranked the all-decade team for the 2010s. Obviously, did they I rank think... it or did they just throw darts at a board? I don't really know. We're going to get to some certain ones, but I'm going to just look at the... The first team, as you mentioned, LeBron, Steph, Harden, Kawhi, KD. Steph, obviously on there, multiple-time MVP, multiple-time champion. LeBron, it's LeBron James. I mean, come on. Yeah. Kevin Durant, the probably one of the best individual scorers we've ever seen. I mean, whatever, however you want to rank it, whatever. Like, Kevin Durant's clearly on there. James Harden, 
his stats are so stupid. It's hard not to keep him up there. It's just he's only done it for like four of the last four years, and they've been a dominant four years. It's hard to really argue and say he can't go there, but we'll see. He's movable. And Kawhi Leonard, I mean. That dude is a two-time finals MVP this decade. One of them was averaging 17 points, and one was coming off a season he didn't even play the season before, really. Kawhi Leonard's the best player in basketball, in my opinion, right now. I, that's what I've been saying when he's playing. But you can't put him on that all-decade team right now because he's... I mean, I'm looking at now three all-star appearances, 18 points a game, six rebounds. Like, he's fantastic, but he hasn't been fantastic the whole decade. Yeah. So, like, that's where I look at the first team. Most of it's probably right. I can't really say take Kawhi off of it, but... Oh, I think you it. can take Kawhi off of it, honestly, just because he hasn't. It hasn't been for a full decade. Like we're talking about the last three to five years. Oh my God, it's Kawhi. It's Kawhi all the way. Like this is the ultimate 2015 to 2020 first team. Yeah, and, I, and to your point on that, I do feel like this whole list. They kind of forgot the 2010 to 2015 seasons even existed. Minus LeBron and Katie, those are the yeah. only guys from that. And area. CP3, they they have him. I feel like he's in the right spot. On you know the second team because of what he did from like 2010 to 2016, 17 in yeah. area. Like they ignored these last three years for him, which is good. I like him in that spot in the second team. Like that's where he belongs. I think. Yeah, I just I look at this first team and I'm just like Kawhi. I mean, yeah, the last three to five years, okay, yeah, 100. percent But let's be honest. Three of those last five years are the most dominant. The other two years, he's growing into it. I mean, I know you were defensive player of the year type of thing in that best perimeter defender, but that's not first team. I mean, Bruce yeah. Bowen was a defensive player of the year type of player. I don't know if you ever really won one, but you know what I mean. Like, he was always right there. So, I can't quite put Kawhi on the first team. Like, it's hard to argue when you look at just the last couple few years, but I think you got to move him down if you're going all decades team. And I definitely think Brew agrees with that. That was that growl right there. <laughs> I do think he agrees that Kawhi probably could get moved down a little bit, but... Granted, yeah. going into the 2020s, he's the best player in basketball going into it. I will stand oh, yeah. by if, that. If in, in, if this is the twenty the best best team from the 2020s decade, he's number one all decade first team. Even if you just group. go 2015 forward, like 2015 forward, this first team's perfect, I think. But yeah. when you include those first five years, I think there could be some movement. I we'll definitely look, agree with that. Uh, so we'll go to the second team real quick. We're looking at Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Blake Griffin, Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. Blake Griffin and Carmelo Anthony are the exact opposite of what we said with the first team. They are getting on there from the first five to six years. Blake, obviously, the first seven because he was a stud for most of the decade till these last couple of years. Yeah. Carmelo was great until 2015, would you say? 2014, he was still a stud scorer. Yeah, basically that, that last year in New York and the first year in OKC. Yeah, basically once he left New York, it was downhill from there, unfortunately. Yeah. Anthony Davis came in in 2012, so he missed a couple of years. It's hard to say he's not on the second team because he's been a defensive... He's been... Basically what Kawhi is now, he's been that from the front court the whole time. It's been injuries, so it's fine. Russell Westbrook won an MVP, multiple triple-doubles, went to a finals. Okay, I mean, and then Chris Paul, we were to talk about a perfect spot, ultimate field general, nearly average a double-double. Yep. It's hard to really argue. I mean, like, I think Westbrook could be moved to the third team maybe. The thing is he was so good these last six years, and those previous, in the beginning of the decade when they went to the finals, he was still pretty good too. I mean, he's a 20-6 and six type of guy early on. He's... Yeah. It's hard. There's not a whole lot for me to argue I, with this one. Like maybe you take Blake Griffin or Carmelo off, but they were really good in those early parts. It's hard to take them off for me. To me, I think I think you can take Melo and you can move him down, uh, just because he did. If, if the fall off was so fast for Melo that you can almost be like forgiven for missing the fact that he averaged 23 points per game. The question is, he, the thing is, he averaged 28 and 29 like that one year he was scoring title champion in the first three to four years. And, yeah, but then, then again, after, that's on the flip side of that, we just talked about it with Kawhi, like, do two to three years make 
a decade, not really. So for me, I look at Carmelo and as a guy that is movable on this list. Do I think he's in the wrong spot? No, I do think he he's is a se- is a good enough player to be second team. But I think there's other guys that deserve it ahead of him. Yeah. Which we're going to look at this third team, and this is where we look at it. This so third this team third. is all messed up. So I'm going to start from the bottom. Giannis, I'm not even trying to say his last name. Giannis, really, really good. The thing is, it was the last two years or three years. Like, last year MVP, fantastic. One of the best MVP seasons we've arguably seen in a while, in my opinion. Exactly. Just the field goal percentage, the rebounds, the assists, the attacking, the basket, the defense. Like, he could have been defensive player of the year, arguably. Oh, no doubt. So he, he could be here, honestly, off of those three years. Like, he could be one that you do that, but it's the same thing. Like, I would take him off, honestly. Like, he's going to be the best player of the 2020s, probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, no doubt. But putting him here is not a travesty. LaMarcus Aldridge, he's been the staple of consistency since he came in really early. I think he was, like, a 2010s, maybe even a little bit. I think he was 08, 09, Yeah, so like he, he's played the whole decade. He's been a pillar of consistency. He just hasn't been great. I mean, a 21-9 and nine guy, really, really good. I mean... I guess you could put him there, but I, I would take him off, honestly, just because he's been really good, but he hasn't been as outstanding as other players because I've been yeah. moving Melo down to here, possibly. like I think I think he stays, personally. I can't argue with staying, but I think he's one If that, he's off the list, I'm not sad about it by any means. Like It's not one that's going to break my heart. He's kind of the opposite of Giannis and Kawhi and Melo, where like those guys are so good for three to four years, and then the other ones, they kind of fell. He was just pretty much the same guy the whole time, for better yeah. and for worse. Like... In the playoff games, he would score 40 the first couple games, and then he would disappear for the last four, and then they'd lose. And that's, I think that's probably his detriment on this list, is he was just he faded in and out of games. He was too easy to be, a, easy, be made yeah. irrelevant, quote-unquote, in a game. Exactly. Paul George, perfect spot. best One of the best perimeter defenders. Could have been an MVP last year. Really good. Those Indiana teams before the leg injury is fantastic. After the leg injury, he actually got better after that year and a half of recovery. Perfect his spot. His defense became top-notch. Like, his defense even Like, he was already good. But, but like, like that, that injury coming off that injury, his defense was. Next I mean, it almost felt like he wasn't sure if he'd be quite the same offense player. So he focused on defense. Like I'll do something I can control. I can control effort. And yeah, he's. I think he's an MVP candidate next year. Right now, as it is. Then the two guards on this list: Kobe Bean Bryant and Dwayne Father Prime Flash Wade. So this is an interesting one because these guys are. I I wasn't able to find an all two thousands decade team on NBA.com. I maybe I missed it back in. Both of these guys should be on the first team for that. The only reason you might not put Dwayne Wade on there is because you have Kobe there and you only want one two-guard. Yeah. But they have two two-guards here, so I'm saying these are your first team all-NBA guards for the 2000s all-decade team. Yeah. I put him, I know Dwayne Wade's a shooting guard. I don't care. I put him on there over Steve Nash, over Jason Kidd, like all those other guys that were fantastic. Dwayne Wade was a different beast. I mean, he may not have like that. He doesn't have the MVP that Steve Nash has necessarily. Granted, both of Steve Nash's MVPs are contested. He's the best, third-best shooting guard of all time. For this 2010s, I feel weird having him on the 13 for that reason, honestly. like yeah, I know he these last few years he like is coming off the bench this last year, the year before that. Still Chicago. averaging 20, though. You know. And when you look at it, like they say he rode LeBron's coattails. First of all, 2010, he was a stud. It's like he was fantastic. To the, like, yeah, 2011, when LeBron's first year, they're like the 2010-2011 season. He was the he was the finals MVP. Does anyone forget like before Dirk went absolutely apish? Who honestly Dirk could possibly be on this list? And, like, we'll, and we'll get to that one. In a he's second. An, yeah. he's another one of those guys that was so good for those first four three to four years. He was an, he's another guy that all two thousands decade team first team second team he's right there. So like yeah. maybe just for that finals run alone you can give him a spot on like the thirteen here. But I digress. Anyway, Dwayne Wade was really like two thousand. He was the finals MVP, and a lot of people thought maybe he's the best player in the league, and. 
he was four All NBA teams, and that was early in the decade. I know, but I, I did, yeah, I look at I honestly look at Dwight Wade, and I'm right there with you. Like, and he didn't really fizzle out. I mean, he dropped off slowly, and then he kind of like that last season when they got blown out by the Spurs. He was not the same. He was not healthy. That first year with LeBron was gone though. He brought the heat, took the heat to the playoffs. He drug Whiteside into an $80 million contract. Yeah, like... They were one game away from beating Toronto and being in the Eastern Conference Finals. People forget just how... I feel like him being in Miami is the worst thing to ever happen for his career. Because people... To, to not ever leave. And then people look at him leaving. Like, when he left Miami to go to Chicago, that last year in Miami, he wasn't terrible. He was, means he was... Good. What probably one of the top five shooting guards of that season, like if not the top three. He like, wasn't an all star still, like, and it wasn't yeah. like a pity all star quote unquote, yeah. or like this last one was honorary. He was an all star guard, like he wasn't as explosive as James Harden, those guys stat wise, but and he plays defense, which a lot of these other guys do. Him and Kobe are defenders, which cast yeah. go into anyway. Move forward, and that and, first year in Chicago, they went to the playoffs with him, Jimmy Butler, and Rondo. Like they gave that Celtics team hell. If it wasn't for Rondo going down, they beat that Celtics team. That was the yeah. first seed with. And who knows where they go after that? And Obviously, the Cleveland yeah. experiment with Wade did not work out. And then he goes back to Miami, and he's pretty good with Miami in these limited roles. I mean, he showed he still kind of had it. He just decided, like, look, I'm not quite this 27-point-a-game NBA Hall of Fame legend, so I'm going to just let it go. And I think he was too unselfish of a superstar in his career with LeBron to get rings where he could average, he could average 25 points a game this decade if LeBron wasn't yeah. there. If he'd still his team and he's healthy... He has to be second team just from the early part of the decade, in my opinion. I, I agree. I think Dwayne Wade and Kobe. Kobe is a different kind of the different story. He did fall off after the Achilles injury. But with that said, we're still talking about Kobe Bean Bryant, who, if right this very moment, showed up at any court on the in the country and challenged anybody to a one-on-one, that man wins. Kobe Bryant, he wins. I don't care who you are. I don't care what. That man will whoop you. Like nobody's ever whipped you before. I know I talked about Kevin Durant being the best, like one, like best individual scorer of all time in the NBA, or that like he's on the pace. But I still think Kobe's the best offensive player we've ever seen, in my opinion. Absolutely. We could talk about that another time. We'll do some other fun stuff with that at a different point. There's, I don't want this to go on for four hours. Yeah, but anyway, no, but the, what he did early, he won a title in 2010, like the 2009-2010 season. I, yeah, I hate the NBA because it splits like that. It's weird. 2011, they were supposed to go to the finals to play that Heat team. This was finally the LeBron Kobe thing. Unfortunately, they ran into the buzzsaw that was the Mavericks. Yeah. 2012, they tried the super team thing. It didn't work, but Kobe killed. Yeah, Kobe still had a great season. He had like he, showed, he, he told, told Dwight how he basically ruined Dwight Howard's career by calling him a baby. Pretty much, yeah. And then that 2013-ish, I think it was season, 2013-2014, where the Achilles thing happened. He was averaging 28 points a game on almost 50% shooting. It was his best career year before that. And, like, and let's not forget, he hit both free throws after yeah. he tore his eight, oh, Achilles. Like, completely ruptures his Achilles. Hobbles over to the free throw line. No, I got this. Takes both free throws and walks off the court under his own power. Like, obviously Kobe is the best, is an all-decades 2000 team first team, unquestionably. He's got to be at least third team just from the early part of the decade. He was the best player in basketball, arguably, for the early parts. If not, maybe two or three. Like, him, Wade, and LeBron were always in that. And then there's Duncan. And, like, they could, yeah. like as far as top five, those three were staples up until twenty, till the Achilles injury, really. Yeah. And even, even coming back from the Achilles, it was still... We he was he could still do. good. It was just he was good in a different way. He wasn't the Kobe of before. He wasn't the I'm going to dice you up with my dribble and then take you off a dribble move. No, he's like I'm going to pick my spots and still manage to, to score 20. And you know? and it's not going to be as efficient. He was older. His explosiveness was gone. He was recovering from a terrible injury. He's old. I mean, 
It happens. He still made, I think it was seven all-star teams during the, I mean, probably one or two of those was just because he was Kobe, but... Yeah. And he still averaged, what was it, 25 points a game, and then he's still, he's got to be second team just from how good he was early on. Like, we were talking about these other guys that got it because how good they were late. These guys were dominant and winning titles early on. Like, yeah. James Harden is fantastic of a stat machine he is. Hasn't won a title. And if you want him on first team, that's fine, but that means Kobe and Wade got to be on second team. Like, if we go up to second team, you got Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook up there. I like Chris Paul on second team, but not over Dwayne Wade or Kobe necessarily. I think, honestly, you, this is one that you have to have three guards. I think Chris Paul, Kobe, and, and Dwayne Wade sit it on the second team together. Honestly, you can even keep Russ there, just have four guards if you're going by the four best players. And then and I, I think Russ, to me, I think Russ is third team. I, the I, don't think he took off, I don't think he took off until KD left in that Katie's ankle injury before the year before he left. Yeah, when he started realizing, hey, I could get triple dub. Exactly. He kind of fell in love with it. And then now he's the triple-double machine that he is, the stat chaser. The thing that kills us is efficiency is so bad. I mean, his 40-ish yeah. percent shooting and his 18% from the free throw line or whatever it was this last year. Like, his, he's too much of a roller coaster. Like, I get it, the triple-double thing on, on paper, 24, 7, and 9. I, I think he's third team as well. And then even in that finals game against the Heat, and I think his game four when he had 40-ish points, he kind of messed it up there at the end too. I can't. He's and fantastic. He's obviously it has to be on one of these teams. Having him on second team is not wrong, yeah. but having Kobe and Wade on the third team just feels kind of wrong, honestly. Yeah. And let's not forget, he's also uh, a key member of the team that gave up a three-one three lead one. to the Golden State Warriors. And he was him and which honestly, if it wasn't for Katie being so damn good around everything surrounding that, that would affect him too. But he's done so much before and after that, it doesn't hurt him as much as it hurts Westbrook in this case. Unfortunately for yeah. Russ, it might not seem fair, but that's the way it. That's the way it goes. Russell's so. determined by that game. He got diced up by Steph Curry. And Clay Thompson dropping. Game six, Clay Thompson. My God. Like, Russ, you got to – yeah, you got to get out there. And that's – okay. So, that brings us to Snubs. You mentioned Clay Thompson. I think he's a guy that might make this list because of what he's done over the last six years. Because, honestly, he was pretty much good from the get-go. He wasn't as dominant. He wasn't as much of an all-star, but he was good from the get-go. So, you can make a case for him as well, too. Yeah. I agree with that. And then I got also DeMarcus Cousins. I, I, like I said I, early on, I think people forgot the 2010 through 2015 years. We're talking the best center in the NBA at during those times. Like absolutely Offensively for down. sure. Offensively for sure. I'm going to say still leaves something to be desired defensively, yeah. but still the best center. Maybe Offens- maybe Marcus Hall or other guys can compete because they play both ends. But I agree with you. Like Best offensive yeah. center in the game, and it's not even close really. And, and doesn't even get a sniff on this list. Doesn't even get a mention. Like I think there are some players like you must have forgot. That's yeah, like, kind of up until the injury, he was that dude. He The trade to New Orleans, everybody forget. Like, it was a, what, three-team trade, a blockbuster trade during the All-Star game. And honestly, <laughs> like, That's what's crazy to me is, is he is complete. He was an All-Star every single year up until his injury. And he did it, unfortunately, a really crappy Kings team with really crappy coaches for the most yeah. part. I mean, like. Pretty much, I think he only had one coach that he liked there, and I can't even remember who it was off the top of my head, but they got rid of him real quick. You try the George Carl experiment, he made it worse, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. George Carl was too much of a in-your-face coach for DeMarcus, unfortunately. So if I'm reworking just with these 15 players we have, I'm going to keep Team 1 just how it is. I'll just leave that as is because I don't really want to – I kind of want to take James Harden off of there, maybe bump up Chris Paul, for example, because of a longevity, but I'll leave it for now. You know what? Yeah, I'm just going to leave it for now. I'm going to swap around with 2 and 3. I'm going to take – Mello and Blake Griffin and drop them to team three. And I'll move up Kobe and Wade. That's really the only thing I'm going to change. I'm going to leave Westbrook there. Anthony Davis stays there for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm going to leave Westbrook there simply because 
basically that how he ended it with the triple doubles and the and the MVP in the finals appearance. So this second team's gonna have a bunch of guards and Anthony Davis. But this is not we talk about positionless basketball, we're not talking about positions here, we're talking about who should be on these teams, and that's how I have it right now. Because yeah. if you look at team three, there is no center there. I mean, Giannis is a massive man with length, but he's not a center. Lamarcus is a power forward who when they put him in center, he underperforms. Paul George, power forward, Kobe and Wade, two guards, like if we're going by positions, we'll talk differently, but just for the best players, Kobe and Wade got to be on the second team just from the dominance up until 2016-ish. And see, for me, so I'm actually going to change something on the first team. I do want to drop Kawhi down to Team 2. I just, and I'm going to bump up somebody from Team 3, and that's Paul George. Because for this time, early in the 2000s, in those Pacers teams going mano a mano with LeBron every year, and he was the guy guarding LeBron. He was the Kawhi before Kawhi. You know, he gave the blueprint for how to stop LeBron. Stop in quotes. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't let him limit get limit LeBron. You know, keep him from shooting fifty eight percent to fifty two percent, basically. And barring an ankle injury, that awful ankle injury for while performing for his country, you know, he is he was that guy. He was in the talk to be the next LeBron, the next KD. Like he was in that top three conversation for. Many years. So for me, I think he is good enough to be on the first team for what he did pre-injury and in the last two years, especially at OKC. He is, I mean, you don't do what he did last year and not be one of the best players in the league. Like, he is that good. I can't really blame you and say that's wrong by any means. The one reason I don't really want to move Paul George up is in the playoffs, he hasn't had a minus those mano-mano with the Heat teams. Since that injury, he didn't really, he hasn't had a lot of playoff moments where it's like, oh, Paul George, he had playoff P for one game, and then after that he scored three points against the Jazz and was like two of 18. Like, yeah. And obviously I'm not really arguing. He's fantastic, but him and Kawhi are kind of in the same trajectory. Like Kawhi did more in a shorter time where Paul did a little bit more of a little bit longer. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, with all that said, I will say upside on all this, like we talked about earlier, if we're doing a 2020 team or 2015 on, Kawhi's up in the first team. Well, not well, no, no doubt. Paul George doesn't even sniff it. I would honestly even consider putting Kobe or Wade up in that first team on this and taking off James Harden just based on the fact that James Harden hasn't even sniffed a fi- yeah. finals besides that OKC one where he was terrible minus one half in game two. And that's another one I'd change on the first team would be James Harden for Chris Paul. Um, I do think early in the, the 2000s, Chris Paul was just so much better than any. He's been, he's been the best point guard in the league for he had a six almost two decades. He was like, the best point guard. Like, I, don't, I think he's fallen off a little bit, but as far as pure pass first, he was. If not, he's been a top three guy since he came to the league. Honestly, yeah. he's a pass first point guard. Yep. So that leaves me with on the second team. I'm I would drop Blake and Melo and replace with Wade and Kobe as well. I think so we're that, on board that Kobe and Wade are at least team yeah. two. If not, you can make a case for team one. But I think even we are like, yeah, just from the longevity purpose, we'll keep yeah. them off. Like it's they're it, they're two thousands players that happen to carry over. Exactly. And and those two plus you got James Harden, you have Kawhi, and I'm leaving Anthony Davis on this list. Uh, and then dropping, you know, Chris or dropping Russell Westbrook, Blake Griffin, Mello, all down to third team to join Lamarcus and Giannis. If I can't pick off the, anybody from this mm. top fifteen, otherwise I'm kicking Giannis off and putting Demarcus Cousins in this third team. We got we don't have enough time to go over so all of this. So that would be <laughs> that would be the only change I make. That somebody that's not on this list. I just think Demarcus Cousins just got got shafted based sure. off of him being in Sacramento and then the injury. So, so. long story short is. Probably a lot of the players can't really argue with, but hate having seen Kobe and Wade on third team. Either you keep them off because they weren't the Hall of Fame selves, or you put them on tier two on the second team because they are still that good in their short span. Yep. The, 
So we'll go from the court. We'll, of course, talk a little bit about the fights coming up this week. We got some big ones coming up. We got the heavyweight title rematch, DC versus Stipe. This is an interesting one because, for me, when I look at it, heavyweights, it ends anyway. Like, I, when they throw punches, the gust of wind from their punch can knock out an average human being. Yeah. And it's an instant rematch for Stipe, and DC's fought once and had some back injuries since then. Do we see a repeat of the first, which, weirdly enough, in UFC title fights, more than 50% of the time, the previous winner wins again. It's almost very rarely do you see some, the title change hands after that in a title fight-specific rematch, I should say. But DC is old now, too. Like he's, like, he's 40, and he's had some back injuries going along. So I'm curious about that. And how does Stipe react? I mean, he took a year off. He had the birth of his daughter like that. Does that refocus you? Does that distract you a little bit? That's an intriguing one. I, so I'm really... Usually when you see rematch, it's like, why would I watch something if I know how it ends? I've seen this before. This one has a different feel to it. Like, I, I have an odd feeling that Stipe could come out there and just keep his hand tight to his chin coming out of the clinch and... He's kind of beating up on DC a little in that first round. Just stay at distance, pick apart. He's the bigger, stronger man. Just use his assets to his advantage a little bit better than he did before. Yeah, I do think, you know, I, they talk about having a kid changes you, right? For a fighter, it might give them more to fight for. Some For some people, you know, we've seen it work. I mean, like Jorge Masvidal, when he had the kids, like, okay, I got to get this money. And he has two of the best knockouts in the last few years. Yeah, so I do think, to your point, I do think Stipe has a chance to come out and absolutely put it to DC. I, well, I say that saying, you know, nobody's ever put it to DC for real. Like, let's be honest. Like, it's happened one time in his career. Besides the John Jones fights, realistically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Gus took it to him, but he still prevailed. But, like... Yeah, yeah. so I think I think Stipe has a chance to to actually come out and put on a great performance. Uh, I don't think DC wins, but that's because I think, to your point, DC is old. Uh, I do think he's at that point where it's like it's like a WWE fighter, you know, they write it into the script where he can't retire with a belt or, you know, because th- th- it just doesn't make for good story, so they cause an upset. Hmm. So I think it's kind of the same thing. Um, I think Stipe comes out and, and actually puts it to DC, and DC's on the back foot from the get-go. Uh, now, I say that knowing full well I'm probably going to eat my words on hmm. uh, this weekend, so we'll see. But I, in my opinion, I do think Stipe wins. I selfishly want to see DC win. I want to see him and John Jones fight a third time at heavyweight, but I want to see DC from like two or three years ago fully healthy, fully rolled. Maybe he feels better than he ever has before. Maybe the injury, like healing and rehabbing, I think he had a small surgery. Maybe he's better than he ever is before. But when I look at what normally happens with back injuries and at this age and in a fight, in a sport where you are fighting another human being, I don't see how it. It's weird, because on the one hand, all the stats with rematches point towards DC winning, because that's just how it normally goes. I mean, usually that's how it happens. If you win the first fight in a title fight in a finish, you'll probably win the second one. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's well over 50%. But from, like, physical, medical, doctor-type angle, boy, that's going to suck for DC if Stipe takes it to him, because that's a big boy, and you have back issues, and you're really short and really kind of pulling some extra weight there. I mean, you should not be 5'10 and 240 necessarily. So. Probably not. No. So we're going to see how that one plays out. But that one's just kind of one that fight fans love, but it's not as big as it should be necessarily for non-fight fans, just like more casual fans. But the fight on the card that is for the casual fans and the people's main event, Anthony Showtime Pettis and Nate Diaz returning for, since his second Conor McGregor fight three, and a, three years ago, almost to the date, weirdly enough. That How man crazy is a is monster. It? And he's fighting at 170, which means he's going to walk in there probably like 186 or something like that because he's not... Like, he gets... 
allegedly he gets up to around like 180s to 190s when he doesn't have to worry about cutting weight. Like they say in that second Conor fight, he was in the 80s, which I don't know if I believe that. I'm going to say maybe 183 to 85 at the max. He's not 190 to 200. That's a, Yeah, that's pushing it. And Anthony Pettis is pretty much the same size as Conor, honestly. He's a little differently proportioned where Conor's like all back and shoulders where Pettis is a little more less built like a gorilla like Conor is. It's kind <laughs> yeah. And Pettis is... It's weird because I watched some of like the pre-fight things and some of the fighters pick him. They say, Anthony Pettis is on a tear. He's killing it. Well, he's coming off a fun fight against Tony Ferguson in which he lost because he broke his hand, which was fun, but he still lost. And a ridiculous knockout over Wonderboy Thompson, who nobody does that. Nobody does that to him. Like, I thought Wonderboy was dead. But Anthony Pettis is still small for this weight division, and Nate Diaz is still a lot bigger. The one way Pettis wins is if he chops the legs down because the Diaz's die by leg kicks. But yeah. Diaz, from what I've seen on just social media stuff, Diaz is ready to go. He's not coming in there soft like he has at previous times. He's coming in ready to roll and to make money. And if he wins, I hope he calls out Connor and, you know, goes on his rants in typical Diaz fashion for the sake of ratings. And for the simple fact of keeping this PG to PG rated, I will not quote one of his, any of his rants. But, <laughs> and I don't have a beat button. So I think it would be fun if he wins. The weird thing with Pettis is if he comes out and he maintains distance and uses the leg kicks and fights really technically sound and doesn't try to kill Diaz... He has all the tools to win. Problem is, like, even his coach said, if you want to bring out the hood rat in Anthony, he's got a little hood rat in him. He's from the streets of Milwaukee. He's seen some shit. He, in his amateur career, or his early pro career, he KO'd a guy with a broken, with a dislocated shoulder. So he's got, he's a little hood, but at the same time, he's, has the fame changed a little bit? I mean, he did, leaving after the broken hand in his last fight, maybe some people would question, I don't, I mean, a broken hand, good luck punching with that thing against Tony Ferguson. Which Tony Ferguson is a lot like Nate Diaz, and if Nate Diaz checks those leg kicks, I mean, just once in your career. Yeah, just one time. Marches forward and puts pressure on Anthony, where we've seen Anthony, he, he doesn't handle pressure as well because he needs space to kick and all his flashy showtime, his punches. Amazing in space. When you crowd him, he's not as... You could, he can get hat if you crowd him. I mean, guy, he's lost to guys he should not lose to because they crowded him. And when it, if Nate Diaz gets you in a box... He might be the best phone booth fighter. Him and his brother Nick are some of the best phone booth fighters that don't, as far as stand-up, that I've ever seen. Just They get in tight and they throw 4,000 punches before you can say 4,000 punches. It's amazing, <laughs> and they don't get tired. So, And they have the long arms of the law. Like, and they can get space if they needed to because he's going to have the reach advantage. So this is, this is a fun one on paper. I can't wait. Like This could be a main event. This, honestly, is probably a little more highly anticipated than DC Stipe. Well, that's because they can trash. I don't care who you are. They the Diaz's, the one thing, if, if they were terrible fighters, I would still tune into their fights. Because that man, those, those brothers, they can trash talk. And they don't even try to do it on purpose. They're the yeah. most unintentionally funny people ever. Like, it's and, hilarious. They have their then, own cult. Then you have DC over there who's, like, trying to trash talk. And you're just like, okay, please put down the granny material and move to your A game. Like, have, get a ghostwriter. Do something. Like, call in your inner Drake. Like, do something, man. You could tell DC's not a natural trash talker. Like, he's got a little bit of cockiness in where it comes out, which you have to be when you're that good at everything you do. Yeah. But he's not as natural bolstering it out like Connor and, like, even Diaz, who doesn't even do it on purpose. It just comes naturally, unintentionally. So, it this hurts. one will be fun, and I can't wait. And if it goes to the ground, oh, my God, the ground game between these two. Two of the best submission guys. Oh, my God, I almost hope it somehow ends up on the ground, even though neither one of them is going for takedowns. <laughs> and then the USADA Bowl is the third main one here, the USDA Drug Testing Bowl. Paulo Costa versus Joel Romero, two guys that I don't understand how bodies look like that because they're not supposed to occur in nature. But Well, you said it yourself, the USADA Bowl, so that's why. They exactly. Like, like they both look like they were built with a knife and a chisel and a hammer. 
They both hit Close. extremely hard. Paulo Costa, I think, might hit a little bit harder, maybe a little bit better traditional boxing technique. But Yoel Romero is a, was made in a laboratory of pure testosterone and freakish Spider-Man DNA and whatever else they, they call did. call HGH. And oh, I'm talking about just, like, his build, before, including that, too, like how fast and explosive. He's Godzilla in human form. It doesn't make sense. He is. He's got better wrestling he decides to use it. He's one of the best wrestlers. If he wants to use it, he should be able to take Paulo down and take it there. But for some reason, he doesn't use his wrestling randomly. It's weird. Power, like I said, I gave it to Costa. Explosiveness, it's all Yoel Romero. I think mean, they go into the middle and they collide. That's where Costa has a chance. If Romero does this thing where he's like, da 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 oh, my God, explosion, and then somebody dies. If he does that, I think he can catch Paulo because Paulo does not know how to. He's a he's a blind bull with that only sees red. Unfortunately, sometimes I saw it in this Uriah Hall fight, which I think was his last fight. He only could go straight forward. Uriah even dropped him because Uriah Hall's very athletic, very sneaky, good on the feet, but he didn't handle the pressure as well. He's very like a bigger Anthony Pettis and maybe a little less skilled. And Costa, he just if he stops in the middle and uses technique, uses his footwork, he could catch Yoel. I mean, Yoel's defense isn't. Lockdown. I mean, Robert Whitaker pieced him up pretty well. He's he's lost a lot of these fights that he's won. He's been losing until he randomly explodes with some random flying knee, Superman punch, uppercut, Hail Mary shot out of nowhere. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I forgot. Rules don't apply to you. So this one's going to have people on the edge of their seats the whole time if they know what to look for. So this is probably one of the deeper fight cards we've had in a while just because you have three main event-worthy fights off the top. I mean... I'm excited. This is the one I've kind of been waiting for. We talked about the other fights that have like a good fight here, a good fight there. Like Colby Robbie was good, but the rest of the card was meh. Valentina and Liz Carmouche this last week, the rest of the fights were meh. But this one, this one, it's basically as soon as the pay-per-view starts, like, all right, let's go. Even the prelims are pretty good on paper too. So this is a good weekend for fights coming up. I'm excited. It's, uh, it seems like one of the weekends in August, they always have a really big fight card in the last few years which is kind of cool because this year they didn't really have a can't-miss UFC Expo event where they put like Anderson Silva or UFC 200 or whoever the big star is at the time there. So this is kind of the blockbuster hit of the summer, and I'm excited for it. And I love them towards the end going right into football season. Like I remember when we watched Nate Diaz and Connor too. As soon as it's over, we're like, wow, such a great event. Oh, my God, we're still pumped. Then right as that kind of started the subside, we're like, oh yeah, football season's here. This is awesome, cool. Yeah. I gotta start my fan I gotta get my fantasy football team together for the next week. So yeah, I know it was exactly what happened last uh, with the Connor fight. I do remember that one. That was we literally got it, left the left the fights like, wow, that was a great fight. Wait, crap, I only have like an hour until I have to set up my you know, <laughs> fantasy football lineup. So yeah, it was it's always a great time of the year. It was it was definitely a good time. And so, anything you want to preview ahead for next week? What should they tune in? Expect to tune into next week. Yeah. So next week we continue our top five rankings. Uh, looks like we're looking like tight ends and linebackers. So non pass rushing linebackers. So we're looking at guys like spoiler alert, Luke Keekley and Bobby Wagner. Those type yeah. of guys will probably be they on might, there. They so. might make an appearance up there. You know, you never know. We maybe we're gonna throw some the loops in there. But. Oh my God! Here comes Sean Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Never gonna happen. Not anymore, uh, unfortunately. That man's old in the company. He, he's retired. But, yeah, we'll, we'll start with that, and then who knows what we diverge into next. Um, we do like to wander, so we who might knows talk what a, you're going to get from maybe us. Maybe we'll definitely recap the fights as well, too, especially if they live up to the hype. I think they will. I'll be trying to live-tweet some of them this weekend, too, so follow us on Twitter as well. And who knows? I mean, Hard Knocks has been pretty interesting so far. We got an episode coming out in these next couple days. Maybe something big happens there. Maybe AB retires. We have no idea what's going to happen yeah. there. Maybe Derek Carr yells at him and throws a football at the back of his head and knocks some sense into him. Who knows how this can go? Yeah, I think the only thing more unpredictable than our show is A.B., what he's going to do. So stay tuned. We don't know yet either. 
we should just change this to the Antonio Brown mindset. But anyway, <laughs> that does it for this week's episode of High Low Sports Podcast. Kelsey, any final words? No, nah, that does it, man. Can't wait for the fight. Can't wait. This will be a great one. Thanks for tuning in. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go ahead and watch us on YouTube as well. We're trying to expand this as far as we can, as fast as we can. We want to see... We want to try to get some viewers on here as well, see if their opinions match up with ours. Maybe we can get a little debate with some of the people who listen with us, reach out and interact, because you see a lot of the people on TV, they kind of say the same things and they yell at each other, which is kind of entertaining, but sometimes gets old. We're kind of more into compare, contrast, speaking with a little bit of energy here and there, but just talking sports, not yelling sports. So We debate without the yelling. Well... <laughs> Sometimes. Maybe we, we yell at our dog in the background. We, we conversate without throwing fists verbally, basically. We try to not... We don't. We try to make it, quote-unquote, like a UFC fight, not a WWE event, which sometimes they cross over a little bit. But So honestly, feel, feel free. Spread the word if you enjoyed our podcast. Tell your friends. Tell your friends' friends. See if they're interested. Like, subscribe, and share. If you want to possibly be on the show, I mean, obviously, that's not very large right now, but it can only grow. It's only up from here. Feel free to message us on any of our social media platforms. We'd love to get other people on here, see what they have to say. And, yeah, so only up from here. Hopefully you guys enjoy the show. Tune in again next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.